not a woman or a girl Man thinks about a little bit of baby girls And a baby boys Man make them happy Cause man make them toys Here's an annoying one. No, I won't play that. That's that's just not that's just not very nice. I was going to play the soundtrack from It's a Small World. <laughs> Let's find something. So I, I've just about got Paul on here. I can see he's online. Ah, how about It's Not Unusual by the Dying Carousel? That I always like that. So I'll be back here in a minute. talking to Paul there. Here, let's uh, switch the uh, the uh, audio source over here. Sirens already. What? Where? Where's Sirens? Here, in, in Halifax. I'm on Ambulance Alley, remember? Oh, that's right. You guys have... Uh, you've, you've been on before, and we've had Sirens go through. Last week, I had no Sirens. No. No, no Sirens. Not, not a one. Wow. Well, tonight we can have a competition, so that's one for me and none for you. Right. So by the end of the show, we'll see who has the most sirens. Okay. Yeah. I will. It'll, I be, will, like, it'll, it'll be like the Odyssey, and there's a Greek mythology in reference. See if anybody gets that. Okay. Sirens, Odyssey. Okay. How many were there? Sirens were there in the Odyssey? I don't think they ever specified. Yeah. A, a bunch. Yeah, a bunch. Uh, a peck. There were a peck of sirens. Yeah. Okay, here, here here's the intro for uh for uh 
hist- history's sake, on uh, August, what is it, the 9th? 9th. Uh, it's now August 10th here in Halifax, but August 9th in uh, Los Angeles. So we're going uh, trans-dimensional time traveling here. Okay. Hey, who, what? Get your hands up. Stay where you are, don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you galoots. Put away the hardware and relax. What's Greg? Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls. Wow, that didn't work real well. Resume call. Yep, still here. Play again. Who survived this terrifying <laughs> ordeal? The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? Okay, everybody knows how that sounds, so let's uh, fade that down. Oh, that's my favorite part of the intro. This part here? I love that music. Yeah. Oh, wait, just a second. Where is it? Wonder if this is the real one. I think this is the original um, library music that Edward got it uh, got the soundtrack from. This was like I guess he paid ten dollars or something to have this in the movie. And somebody located this original music. See, it doesn't have all the other stuff mixed in like in the film. Actually, I kind of, I kind of like this version even better. I think I do too. It's like Dylan unplugged. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yep. I'll send that to you if you want. Yeah, it sounds like a really angry Zorg (laughs) guy. Yeah, see, it's very, very... uh, It's it's a high-fidelity recording of uh, the original uh, library Plan 9 from Outer Space music, which I believe was used in some other things. I think listener Carlos found a um, old... uh, I think it was a McDonnell Douglas or Boeing... um, uh, promo film <laughs> with about some new airplane they were building or they were trying to sell, and they got the Plan Nine music's on there. 
it's crazy. Uh, it's it makes you think something horrible is going to happen, you know, during the uh, d- during the. Uh, 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 during the flight, I don't know. I don't know. They, they, they should have played that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the uh, the upshot of today's show is that I was not planning really to have a show, and I I think I had a um, Facebook uh, message with Paul. And he said, "You want me to come on and talk about the uh, the East Coast Paranormal Conference?" Yeah, yeah. Why not? I haven't talked to Paul in a while. How are you, Paul? I'm good, Greg, and we were actually going to have a Skype chat, just friendly Skype chat tomorrow, so yeah. so this covers that, too, although we can still Skype chat tomorrow, but I'm running on about seven hours of sleep over the last two and a half days, good. and I spent about six and a half hours today driving Stan Friedman and Tim Banal around, which was <laughs> fine. Did you drive um, Tim all the way home or just to the airport? No, no, no. I drove him um, – from Liverpool, Nova Scotia, up to Caribou, Nova Scotia, which is where the ferry to Prince Edward Island goes because his mother is over in PEI. Tim oh. has relatives in PEI, actually. I didn't know that. So he's on vacation until Friday now in Prince Edward Island. Yeah. Oh, so okay. So the last, the last I saw of him, he was getting on a ferry to go visit Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> Does his mom live near that, that house? No. Uh, it's. I think it's his aunt because his mom li- lives um, – you know, in Massachusetts, like he does. Oh, okay, okay. So she drove him up, dropped him off in New Brunswick. I went up, picked him up, brought him back to Halifax. He and I uh, wrecked havoc in Halifax for two days. Not really. I was actually working, so he was he wrecked havoc on his own. Yeah. And then we, um, we went down to Liverpool, Nova Scotia, which is a little town of about 2,500 people maybe on the south shore. Not that far. You'll understand this. From right? Shelburne? Shelburne. Yeah, about uh, 40 minutes, maybe, from Shelburne. Uh, so I was just outside the exclusion zone that I established for Shelburne several years ago. <laughs> it's like the Chernobyl zone that I won't cross. <laughs> and they probably don't want me to cross. Yeah, um, you might see Jim, um, you know, so. Yeah, except no. He's fled to the United States. So, or Columbia. So, um, yeah, we drove down on uh, Friday, and the uh, East Coast Paraconference which um, you'll find this amusing. They build themselves, and the, the, it's a wonderful conference. I, I'm happy to let them have this. But they were billing themselves as uh, Nova Scotia's first paranormal conference. Mm-hmm. And Tim and I were sitting there, and he, he leaned over to me, and he said, Hey, Paul, didn't you hold a paranormal conference in 2006? I went, <laughs> turns out I did, Tim. And my keynote speaker was Stan Friedman, who's yes. the keynote, one of the keynotes for the um, – East Coast Para Conference. So I walk over to Stan. They're still doing the introductions and everything at the very beginning. And the first thing he says, he looks at me and goes, the first one, didn't you hold a paranormal conference? Wasn't I there? And I went, yes, Stan. It's not a problem. You talked so, about uh, your uh, – he talked about his uh, nuclear rocket work. He did. And a little bit about Betty and Barney Hill and Roswell. But mostly he was talking about the nuclear rocket stuff, which yeah. is what I'd asked him to do. Yeah. So I kind of – Refer to the New Frontiers Symposium as the legendary Lost Symposium because it, it had the all-star lineup of you, me, Nick Redfern, William Wise, or Rebecca Wise now, yeah. uh, Robert, Robert Zimmerman talking about the Soviet space program, Stan, and the late Mac Tonys, of course. So, yeah, um, yeah that was fun. Anyway, the the, Par- the East Coast Paraconference um, is a, established by a group of paranormal investigators down in Liverpool in affiliation, I think, with the Queens County Museum and, and some businesses down there. So they clearly are better organized and have more funding and support and, uh, than I did. And unlike me, because I was just doing it as a one-off, 
they envision it as, you know, next year it'll be the second year and then the third year. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I saw this year, uh, I think they're going to have a long run down there. You know, they're just going to continue to grow. They're very nice people. They're very hardworking. There's, I mean, they're really, really nice people. Yeah. And um, they're everything Canadians, everything everybody else thinks Canadians should be, like really sweet. People. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was great fun. I got to meet Lauren Coleman for the first time after many years of corresponding and everything. It was the first time I'd met him in uh, meat space, as Mac would have said. Yeah. And I hadn't actually seen Stan in five years. And I hadn't really talked to him except for this week. long, really? Yeah. Well, I I would have seen him last year because it was the first time I'd gone to a family reunion in – Several years, yeah. But that he had the heart attack the night before the reunion, so I showed oh. up at the reunion the next morning. Yeah, looking forward to seeing Stan, and he's in the hospital, so he's fine now, folks. He's I, I great long chats with him, and he's he's in he's in great health. But um, yeah, I hadn't even talked to him for about two or three years. Uh, just we were doing other things and busy, and we just weren't didn't chat. And he called me up uh, out of the blue for the first time this past week. Huh. Uh, because he had a question for me about something. He was going on the Art Bell show, and <laughs> he wanted he wanted to ask my opinion about something Art Bell wanted to talk about. And I just thought, well, this has to be a first. Stan is asking my opinion about something he, that Art Bell wants him to talk about. And I won't <laughs> tell you. I won't tell you quite what that is because it's a synchronicity that if we talk about some of the synchronicities I experienced while lecturing about synchronicity in Liverpool, one of them has to do with Stan Friedman and that phone call I had with Stan, um, which came back sort of to haunt me, if you will, when I was giving my lecture today. So, um, yeah, no, it was great fun. Everybody was super. It was a, a pretty good lineup of speakers. I saw most of them. The only one I missed, I missed the Ghost Hunters panel or Ghost Authors panel on Saturday morning because it was, I think, 8. Let me check here. Yeah, it was at eight from 8.30 to 10.30. What kind of so ungodly hour is that to do anything? Well, no, I mean, but it was a long day. I had been out. Tim and I had sampled the nightlife of Liverpool the evening before. And um, I got maybe two or three hours sleep. Not because I was drunk or anything. I only had two beer. I just couldn't get to sleep because I'm working. I'm doing post-production on my feature film, Exit Thread. So my sleep schedule is get up at three in the afternoon, go to bed at seven and eight in the morning. So I was kind of crashing into a new schedule of get up at seven in the morning and go to bed at 11 or 12 and as a result, I'm, I'm really running on fumes. But yeah, it was, it was an absolutely great time. I don't know if they're listening. Um, if they're not listening live, then maybe they'll be listening uh, to the uh, podcast version. Yeah. But kudos to the entire organizing team, in particular, Linda Rafuse and uh, Kelly Connolly, um, who were the two people that I liaised with most. And it was Kelly that led the ghost investigating expedition to the historic Astor Theater in Liverpool that Tim and I went on last night. And um, weirdness ensued for ye old former host of Ghost Cases. That would be me. Yeah, so, I, I read a little bit was, about it. I didn't. Yeah, it was, you didn't. You didn't say what it was. No. Well, as I have a long history, as Holly, my old co-host, would know, of not immediately saying anything. I like to like. There was a large group of people, and they were all talking to each other, and they were working. I like to go off on my own, or maybe with one other person. Yeah, um, like yeah, Holly I do too. And, you know, have an individual experience. And then if something does happen, it can take me hours or days or even months, frankly, to sort of process it. So I'm still kind of going through the weirdness that ensued last night. But there was a genuine weirdness mixed in with synchronicity. So it was actually a really 
that was a really cool night. And I hadn't intended to go. I was not going to go until Tim sort of prevailed on me to, um, he said, ah, come on, Kimball, it's going to be fun. <laughs> so it's like, all right, fine, Tim. You know, I have to give a lecture at nine o'clock the next morning, so I'm not going to be there all night. And, uh, and I stuck around until about 1230. And then after the weirdness happened, I was a tired. I realized I, I wanted to go to bed, but I was also, you know, I just didn't want to be there anymore. I said, look, I can't imagine it's going to get any weirder than this. And, um, you know, I, I just want to go out. So I went outside and I stood outside for about 20 minutes while Tim continued investigating with the others. And he finally came out for a cigarette and he said, ah, you're not in there. And I said, ah, some weird stuff happened, Tim. I, I, I'm going to head back to the hotel. Um, do you want to come with me? He said, no, I'll stay here. And uh, and so I wandered off on my own and he got home on his own about an hour later. So we're not going to talk about what happened to you in the uh, in the uh, when you broke off from the group just uh, for a little while. Oh, sure, we can. Um, do we have yeah, to talk about it in context with something else? Yeah, probably. Maybe okay, well, then why don't you sort of chronologically uh, tell us at least – because I didn't – you know, I, I was relieved actually when you said, would you like to do a show where I talk about the East Coast Paranormal Conference because it meant, one, I know Paul. Two, and because I know Paul, I don't have to write down any questions. So I didn't. Um, but the uh, I guess the first obvious question would be, what was this conference? What was the concept of it? And, you know, it, it sounded like it was a pan-paranormal conference, sort of. I mean, especially since Stan was there. And Lauren and you from basically different disciplines. So what was the idea behind that? I Yeah, it was very much a paranormal conference. I think the folks in Liverpool... Which I think uh, is a great idea. Yeah. I think they're primarily interested in ghosts. I think that's their first area of interest, which makes sense because Liverpool is on Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia's uh, South Shore, which like Maine, for instance, Americans might be more familiar with that, is a, a region rich in ghost stories and hauntings and all that sort of stuff, which we drew upon when we were doing ghost cases. I mean, we're, you know, the older the province or the older the state, the more likely you are to have myths and legends and ghost stories and all that sort of stuff. So it was a, a perfect place to do it. It's a, an old privateer's town where, you know, there's stories of um, buried treasure, Oak Island's not all that far uh, mm -hmm. from Liverpool, for instance. And, um, yeah, I, I think they just want to adopt an approach. They also have an interest in UFOs and all sorts of other stuff. So I think they kind of said, look, let's get somebody, let's have it, make it a potpourri or uh, a buffet of the yeah. paranormal. So you had Lauren there talking about, although Lauren would very clearly tell you, look, my version of Bigfoot is not paranormal. He's a creature rooted in the real world. Yes. So, um, but let's assume for a minute we consider Bigfoot part of the paranormal. So there's Lauren talking about Bigfoot and Yowies and Yarens and cryptids. Um, Stan was there talking about crashes, crash flying saucers, Roswell to Shag Harbor. So he covered five. He spent most of his time on Roswell, but he covered briefly uh, the Aztec hoax. Um, I'm sorry, crash. Um, <laughs> Kecksburg, the Plains of San Augustine, which is part of the Roswell right. story, and uh, Shag Harbor. Because uh, okay. Liverpool's only about half an hour from. He didn't Chicago. say anything about Aztec, did he? I hope he did briefly. Oh, you know, okay. maybe five or ten minutes about Aztec. Oh, okay. So, so those there were those two. There were three ghost authors, um, local authors: uh, Steve Vernon, Vernon Oikel, and Daryl Walsh, who used to host a, a ghost hunting, a paranormal mystery show on Space up here in Canada. And the three of them have written a number of books about ghosts and, and the paranormal. So they were that panel Saturday morning that I missed. And they were all talking about telling stories and everything that they'd heard. So that covered the ghost thing. 
Um, there were two ladies yesterday afternoon to close it out who talked about the Amherst, what is it? The, the Great Amherst Mystery, which I'd never heard of. I haven't I either. I, I, Amherst is a town in on the border of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and uh, it happened in the late 1870s. A very apparently a very famous story that I'm going to look into more about a poltergeist case in uh, involving a young woman in Amherst in the late 1870s. The two women who were who had written the book and were talking about it were very skeptical, and they came to the you know their conclusion is that these were psychological trauma events and and everything there was nothing paranormal about it which mm-hmm. i thought was interesting at a paranormal conference yeah but that but good interesting that's so great that, you never hear stuff like that. it's like well it just sounds like a very complicated case of of stuff we can explain nobody likes that but well, well exactly. some people do some people like hearing you know we have solved this one let's move on to other things and that sounds like a case of that yeah and uh last learn from it um, the key keynote thing or whatever was this all was taking place at the Best Western um, Hotel, which was a lovely hotel. They put me up there in a suite. Awesome. Oh. Yeah. Hot was, tub? No, no hot tub, but it was oh. better than my apartment. So <laughs> a lovely, lovely leather couch and two flat screen TVs and a big, big king size bed. I mean, they went all out for me. Um, last night it was Chip Coffee, who Americans might know from various television shows down there. I think he's been on. Um, I mean, I, I can't remember, but like he's a psychic medium, so he's been on a lot I, of shows. I've, on, I have heard of him, yes, on H two or or whatever those reality shows are. Yeah. And he was at the Astor Theater, which is one of Canada's oldest. It might actually be its oldest remaining traditional small town theater. So it seats probably about two hundred people, maybe, and uh, maybe more. Maybe actually, probably maybe three hundred. And it's made of wood. So I, they were telling us when we went for the ghost investigation later, the guy was telling us that there's only two left like it in Canada that was act, were actually made from wood. And so it's a very historic, you know, it's a historic site and everything. And he apparently packed the house at 54 bucks a, a head Whoa. to do a psychic medium thing. I didn't go because I needed to get a bit of sleep. And I, I was working on my presentation for the next day, too. And when that was over, that was about nine thirty, and we showed up. They were every night they ran the, a ghost investigation at I think four different locations in town. One of them was the Astor Theater. One of them was the Hank Snow Museum. Um, a great country star that was originally. I know born. who he is. Yeah, he's from Nova Scotia. I did not know that. Yeah, oh yes, no, very much. Yeah, he. Born, uh, um, you can go down to Fisherman's Cove here at Dartmouth. He used to play which is a little fishing village um, down on the eastern shore just past the city I grew up in. And you can see a little um, plaque to him. He used to play in a honky-tonk there like decades ago. He'd just show up with his guitar before he became famous and, and do, you know, just he'd be, he was the country music of that night. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's very famous Nova Scotian. Yeah. And there were, two, there were two other sites that they were doing, and I can't remember what those were. Um, but I went to the Astor Theater one. They did that Friday night and Saturday night. I went to the Astor Theater one with Tim on Saturday night, so uh, that was a very long day for us. And then Sunday, I was on this morning at 9.30 till 11, talking about, well, just about everything. The, oh, actually, my book, The Other Side of Truth, uh, The Paranormal, The Art, The Imagination, and The Human Condition. And about 30 minutes in, I realized maybe my sort of highfalutin intellectual, not that these people weren't smart, they were, um, but it didn't seem to really be wowing the audience. So I thought, all right, time for me to start telling some ghost stories. And so you <laughs> yeah. Some high, very high strangeness UFO stories, and I can talk about one or two of those uh, later. 
Um, and I, it seemed to go over very well. I, I brought Tim up as a studio, as a guest from the audience and proposed marriage to him, which I think is probably a first for a paranormal conference. And, um, what, what, what moved you to do that? Uh, it was, it was part of the show. I was trying to, well, okay, I'll tell you, I was trying to, um, to illustrate the thing that you and I've talked about over many years and many shows about communication and how language can actually be a barrier to communication. Yes. So, which is one of the themes in my book that if language is a barrier to communication, what are, what's the most primal way of, of communicating through imagery and through music and those kinds of things, you know, artistic expression. Yeah. So to try and drive the point home about how language could be a barrier to communication, but maybe physical gestures would not be, um, I, I here I'll give the spiel. I said, well, okay, folks. I, I just I ask, how many people here speak Valencian? Hands, please. Nobody put their hands up. And I went, okay, that doesn't surprise me. It's a very, very sort of obscure European dialect. But uh, and then I gave this history of Valencia, which was a small principality in Eastern Europe in the past the Balkans on the what is now the Russian border, part of Bulgaria. In the 19th century, it was a part of the Ottoman Empire. And like many of the people in the Ottoman Empire in Europe, the Greeks, the Albanians, the Serbs, you know, there was a, an independence movement that flourished. And it began as a cultural movement because you couldn't write things like, you know, this sultan is evil. So you would have to do it in the form of prose and poetry and opera and, and do it, you know, kind of slyly, the way Shakespeare used to criticize yes. um, the establishment through his plays. And I said in 1846, there was a, it was Rudikar Karamaikos, a poet who wrote this great poem that uh, was called um, Mit Latib. And uh, I said, now, nobody speaks Valencian, right, because my pronunciation is going to be horrible. But uh, there was one line, one line in that poem that just took everybody in the Valencian culture and, and really moved them. And that line is, and I can't remember what I had now, I think it was, Ich uh, Eisenstadt Liga. And um, I asked them, I said, does anybody here know what that means? And nobody. So I said, okay, I need a volunteer from the audience. Sounds like German. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, wait for it. Okay. So nobody, vol nobody volunteered. I think they were still, they were frightened. And so I said, <laughs> okay, Tim, Tim Benal, I should have picked, you know, a good looking woman from the audience, but I picked Benal. What's wrong with you? And I brought, I brought Tim up and I said, look, Tim and I are, are old friends, but we have not discussed this, have we, Tim? He went, nah, I don't know what you're doing, Kimball. Um, <laughs> he had a look of fear in his face. And uh, I said, well, okay, uh, you know, ich Eisenstadt Riga. Tim, what do you think that means? And he goes, uh, I don't know. And he said something that, you know, like, um, my God or something like that. And I said, no, that's not right. So, okay, folks, nobody knows what it means. Well, now let's try it again, but I'm going to do something slightly different. So I got down on one knee. I took Tim's hand in mine. There was a picture of this on Facebook. And I went, <laughs> ich Eisenstadt Liga. And immediately a lady followed by several other ladies in the audience went, will you marry me? I went, yes, exactly. And everybody laughed because I had just asked him to marry me. Or, sorry, um, Tim, Tim went, will you marry me? And he, he had asked me to marry him, right? And then he went, well, I didn't say yes. And uh, <laughs> so he wandered back to the seat and I said, thank you. So, you know, everybody's kind of chuckling. And I said, look, this illustrates three things. The first thing it illustrates is my point that um, language is buried in communication that can be overcome by physical gestures. So you didn't understand what that sentence meant when I just read that sentence. But if I changed my tone and I adopted a physical posture that you were familiar with, it immediately became apparent to you. It wouldn't have mattered what I said. And they're all like, hmm, yes, yes. 
I said, well, okay, here's the two other things that it illustrates. Um, one, uh, I can't even remember what the second one was. It was kind of a throwaway thing about marrying Tim or something. And I said, the third thing that it illustrates is a really sincere sounding person can make people believe just about anything, which is why you have to be aware of people in the paranormal. Because there is no Valencia, there is no language called Valencia, and there was no Rudikar Karamaikos. He was a Dungeons and Dragons character I created when I was 18. Yeah. And by the way, the poem, Mit Labmik, or whatever it is, that's Tim Benal spelled backwards. Yeah. And they're like, okay. oh, my God, oh my God, you got us. And I went, yes, yes, I did. But my point about communication and language remains the same. I could have used real language. But I also wanted to make a point about you have to be careful of hucksters and hoaxsters and, and snake oil salesmen because if they sound really good and they tell a really good story, um, they can make anything sound believable. And uh, uh-huh, they, Disinformation again. I am the Walter Bosley. No, wait. Walter's not a disinformation ad. It's one of my saying. Mark Pilkington took over my brain for a second there. Um, I am the... <laughs> I am the Richard Doty of the East Coast Paraconference. There you go. For a brief moment. <laughs> yes. So then I, I kind of moved on and I went right into uh, basically shortly after that um, just telling ghost stories because that was the high point of my trying to explain art and communication. And I was talking about co-creation and you know using various examples of music and, and film and culture. And um, I, I realized that should have been about 10 minutes of my lecture and the other hour and, and 20 minutes should have been me telling stories. So I eventually yes. just moved people like the stories. They do, and that's perfect. Uh, you know, I like the stories too. Yeah, I had I had had the same criticism of Stan the day before. He said, "How did how, you know? How did you think my lecture go?" No, I think it was good, Stan. And he said, "Yeah, you know, I could have less Roswell. I should have done less Roswell and more on the other cases." And I went, "Yeah, you should have." Um, and he got into some of the esoteric of MJ twelve and all that. And yeah. I went, "Yeah, you know, I think that probably people kind of get bored by that." And I would offer the same critique of mine. I think 10 or 15 minutes on my theory and then more on, look, let's tell some cool ghost stories and some really cool high strangeness UFO stories and some really cool – you were you featured prominently in my lecture because I was talking about the synchronicity run from 2011. In L.A., uh, yeah. Including our appearance on uh, Radio Mysterioso where it just spun out of control. And they seemed – you know, the synchronicity really seemed to be something that wowed them. They were like uh, – a lot of people came up to me afterwards and were telling me their own synchronicity stories. So yes, this is what happens at these the, these things. What 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 you become, I think, in a way, is a therapist for people because that anybody else they tell tell the story to goes, "Huh?" or "You're insane. Get away from me." So yeah. they figure that if somebody else has told that sort of a story or something near it or is in, you know invested in that kind of information, that basically they're telling it to get telling you that's to get it off their chest so they don't have to feel like they're crazy. Which is why I stopped being annoyed with people doing that with me and then just thought they just need to get it out of the way and they don't even want me to validate it. They just want to tell me the story and leave 90, 90% of the time. Yeah. I mean, it's what Stan called the laughter curtain. You know, he's called it that for years where people don't want to, you know, how many people have seen a UFO and you know, hands don't get raised. And then he talks about the laugh. People are afraid that everyone's in the audience is going to laugh at them if they raise their hand. Yeah. And um, well, he not at a UFO these- conference. They aren't. Yeah, well, well, no, not at a UFO conference, but when I've seen every time I've seen him do it, he's been speaking at colleges. Oh, okay, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. So, um, you know, I made a point. We were doing the ghost investigation the night before, and Kelly, um, who's um, who's just this wonderful lady, she's she's great, but she was leading the investigation, and she's a nurse, and she was kind of joking with the fourteen or so people there, saying, you know, I don't really um, tell people 
uh, kind of what my hobby is uh, a whole lot because, you know, I'd be afraid they'd laugh at me or something like that. And uh, so I began my lecture by giving five examples of prime paranormal researchers or people who believe in the paranormal. And my way of saying, look, you shouldn't be afraid of the laughter curtain. And the five um, really quickly were William Lyon Mackenzie King, Canada's longest serving prime minister, uh, Baron Tweedsmer, who was the governor general of Canada and wrote the 39 steps um, at the time King was prime minister, Barack Obama, who has been extensively quoted as saying he's a Christian, believes in God and the redemption in Jesus and the resurrection, all that. These are all paranormal things. Mackenzie King was into spiritualism and mediums and yeah. psychics. Yeah. Um, Bono, I use Bono from U2 as a reference because Bono is very open about his born-again evangelical Christianity. It informs a lot of his writing, his songs. And uh, the fifth one, that's terrible. I can't remember who the fifth. Oh, uh, Sir Isaac Newton. I put a picture up and I said, does anyone know who this is? And even Stan didn't know. And I said, this is the father of the modern scientific method, Isaac Newton. Who it wasn't a picture made- of him standing there with a apple or a uh, a prism or whatever the normal thing. Was it? He had his uh, royal wig on, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. And there was it was just him in a portrait. And I said, he, is, he actually wrote more about religion and spirituality than he did about science. Yes. And he did, not, he did not see a conflict between the two. Um, and by writing about religion, he wrote about some esoteric, what we would consider supernatural stuff. Yeah. He believed that science was a way of getting what if you could understand the universe, you could understand the mind of God. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I said, look, these are all people that by any measure, by any definition, believe in the supernatural and the ultimate supernatural being. So, you know, one of them is the commander in chief of the United States and the president. One of them is the greatest prime minister in Canadian history. One of them is the greatest scientist probably of the last 350 years. Um, one of them is probably the greatest rock star of the last 25 or 30 years. And, and one of them was the governor general of Canada who wrote a best-selling mystery novel. I mean, those are five pretty – you don't have to like Bono. I'm just saying in terms of popularity. I know what you mean. I know you're using it as yeah. an example. I had to make a comment. You know me. Yes. These are, these are famous people you have nothing to be ashamed about because they – are not ashamed of admitting these things. They're like, oh, okay, good. We can talk openly now about the paranormal and nobody needs to fear um, shame or ridicule or anything like that. It's like, okay. Well, Uh, to be fair, when when, uh, uh, Newton talked about it, I don't think there was the divide so much. No, the divide came um, after Newton, but that doesn't, you know, there were still obviously people that would have been very skeptical about that. Not everybody was a believer, even in Newton's time. Right. Uh, no, no, he was, he was syncretizing uh, science and religion, which is fine. I mean, you know. yes, a lot. Of, and I made the point of saying a lot of scientists still do that. You, you would think every mm-hmm. scientist today is an atheist. They're not. Um, there are some who are atheists. There are some who are agnostic, probably more than in past years. But there are still a lot of scientists who still believe that there is um, a divine presence, some sort of um, God, if you will. Yeah. And uh a lot of them do science and are quoted as saying they got into science because they wanted to understand how the universe works because it helps them, as Newton would have said, understand the mind of God. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm an agnostic about everything, so I fit in the middle camp. But uh, it's nothing people need to be embarrassed or ashamed about. And that's a point I made in my book, and it's a point I like to make on those rare occasions when I actually go speak in public. Um, so I, I definitely made that today. Uh, yeah. And then the final speaker today was... Well, she was weird. And anyway, then we ended the conference. <laughs> and um, uh, no, she was she's she spoke about angels, she um, and and demons and ghosts and stuff. And she claimed to be some sort of psychic medium or whatever. She was a last minute replacement. They were going to have a guy 
Charles Barkhouse speak about Oak Island, which would be oh, yeah. great. I, I and, saw that little thing on their page. Yes, he had, there was a death in the family, and he couldn't make it perfectly acceptable, understandable. So they brought her in at the last minute, and she was – it was like watching a high-pitched Tasmanian devil psychic medium <laughs> on Red Bull. Uh, just – you know, I've never heard that much profanity at a paranormal conference either because she was just – at one point, I think she just lost control and even dropped – I'm pretty sure she dropped the F-bomb. And it was going – it went by so fast, I don't think anybody else noticed it. But she had been saying frig because she wanted to say – I'm, I can say whatever I want on your show. She wanted to say fuck. Yeah. And she was stopping herself. She going, fuck, frig, frig. And at one point she was just rambling through and she just went, blah, 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 fuck, blah, 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 blah. And I went, whoa, that's, that's, wow, okay. Um, but you know what? It, she, she seemed nice. She was very nice to me after I finished. She said she loved my presentation. So I thought the least I could do would be um, sit in and watch hers. And um, Sounds I didn't like a learn great anything, show. But it, it was entertaining. Yes. So. So there's something to be said for entertaining. And there were people in the audience that actually liked her and asked her questions and stuff. And um, so you know what? Different strokes for different folks. So all in all, I, I would say every speaker was had their something to bring to the table. Um, even the last one, the whirling dervish of Red Bull fuel Tasmanian devil psycho psychic medium. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody brought something to the table and it was it was a fun time. It was the way I envisioned a paranormal conference to be it's the kind of paranormal conference i ran because you talk about the contactees will wise talked about blue book mac talked about the human condition and consciousness nick yeah. talked about cryptids and cryptozoology i talked yeah. about ufos i mean we had a, it's a, it was a very um eclectic yeah. which is what the paranormal is and that's exactly what the folks at the east coast para conference did so kudos to them i think that's the way forward yes um, it should be yeah what did uh, Lauren talk about? Because I keep saying, I'm going to have him on the show. He keeps saying, yes, I'd like to, but not right now, and we still haven't done it. What did, what did he talk about? He talked about um, Bigfoot, uh, Bigfoot around the world? Yeah, sort of. He went through some big, very briefly about the world, and then he got into Bigfoot. But his primary focus was about the Wendigo, Wendigo which is, I guess, oh, yes, I'm, not, Canadian. I'm not an expert by any means. But, you know, the Eastern, uh, Canadian East and Northeastern American, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, sort of version of Bigfoot, although he considers it a completely separate thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, he considers the skunk ape something separate from Bigfoot and the uh, abominable Yeti something separate from Bigfoot, whereas a lot of people consider it all the same animal being reported in slightly different ways in different cultures. So, um, yeah, his was a, you know, a really nuts and bolts kind of cryptozoology um, tour, and Stan's was a really nuts and bolts UFO tour. So I, I posted on my Facebook page, you know, uh, Saturday night, I said, uh, my lecture is not going to be nuts and bolts. Those were great. Mine is going to be more existential and high strangeness. And I think it was once I got into the cases. There were no nuts and bolts. Well, there might have been a nut, me. But, um, you know, I, I was talking about the kind of cases I actually, I said, look, the two best ufologists, in my opinion, in the last 40 years are, he. one of them sitting here, Stan Friedman, and the other one's Jacques Vallée. Stan talked about his type of cases. I'm talking about really tonight the kind of cases or this morning that Valet talked about, um, which are high strangeness, very high strangeness cases. Yeah. So, um, and I use one particular example to to kind of illustrate that. And Stan sat there and he was nodding his head. He was actually because um, I had a PowerPoint presentation. He was actually my slide. He was moving my slide. Yeah, I, so saw, I saw slide, I saw a picture I, of that. I kept referring to him as my slide monkey. Next slide, slide monkey. And, uh, 
I said, the pupil has become the master. So, And he gave me his pointer, his laser pointer. So when he gave it to me, I said, this is even better. This is great. My family will appreciate this. Uncle Stan is my slide monkey, and I have his laser pointer, which means if he's Obi-Wan, I'm Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber. So <laughs> this is awesome. But, you know, he, we, had, we had a lot of good fun, um, he, him and I. Uh, inclu- and, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was a really fun conference. That's the, uh, the attendance wasn't great in the sense there weren't hundreds of people, but there was probably anywhere between 80 to 120 people, maybe 130 that came through on the entire weekend. And uh, I think they'll, they've established, I mean, Tim Benal was impressed. Everybody who was there was impressed with how um, how nice they were. They need to um, brush up a bit on their organizational skills, but that, you know, the first time you run it's a conference. It's the first one, you know. Yeah, exactly. You learn from doing, and then you get better as you do. So next year, it'll be a little better organized. And, um, and yeah, that's really all they need to tweak is the or- some of the organizational stuff. Not that it was bad. It just needs to be tightened up a bit. And then I think they've got something really special brewing. And while they might not have been the first one ever in Nova Scotia, they're definitely the best one in terms of you know, putting on a good show. And uh, I think they're going to be the one that lasts. I think they're going to continue doing it. And uh, hopefully it would be kind, you know, eventually become the kind of thing where people would come here the way people went to Laughlin for the UFO conference or whatever. I mean, Laughlin's not a place you would think of of flying to or driving to to, uh, to go do anything except gamble in the casinos. But it became a destination because they kept doing the international UFO conference there, and eventually people, you know, more and more people started going. And so while Liverpool's two hours, well, it's about an hour and 40 minutes outside Halifax, and, you know, you can fly directly to Halifax from New York, Philadelphia, or Boston, so it's a yep. relative... It's a major international airport in Canada. Um, then you just rent a car or, or hop a car, and an hour and 40 minutes later, there you are at the, at the conference. And um, in this lovely, really historic, old, small town, uh, fishing village, uh, town really, on Liverpool, Nova Scotia, on the Mersey River. So it's actually like <laughs> Liverpool, England. It's, it's called the Mersey River. And there's pirate stories and ghost stories. And, and yeah, it's, it's much more fun than going to Laughlin. Although I enjoyed Laughlin for, you know, that was fun too, but this is a really character-driven town, and um, I would encourage people to keep an eye out for the conference next year in 2016 uh, because it's it, you know they'll they'll have a good lineup of speakers and um, you know they're they're curious too. They asked me and Tim, and I think they probably asked others. You know, who do you think would be good speakers, and who do you think we should not bring? So, for instance, they said, "Well, what about Stephen Greer?" And I went, yeah. and, and Tim went, Bleh. so we we exnade Stephen Greer, hopefully. Uh, and they said, well, who would you recommend? I said, well, look, you could get Nick Redfern up to talk about anything because he yeah. writes books on everything. Yeah. Um, I recommended Aaron Gullius because I think Aaron should go to more conferences. And, uh, you know, Aaron's written three books now about UFOs from a scholarly point of view, but also the one I published, uh, The Chaos Conundrum, from a more, you know, sort of a non-scholarly point of view. Right. And uh, I mentioned your name, too. I said, look, basically, why don't you recreate the New Frontier Symposium? Minus Matt, subbing Aaron in for Mac kind of thing. Yes. Um, so I don't know if they'll do that, but there, you know, there are other people that they could bring up. Um, yeah. Well, I don't Michael. have a yeah, I don't have a uh, like a current book or something like that, which is what usually gets you on the lecture thing. No, but you would be great to talk. Um, I don't think anybody up here would want to hear about the Benowitz case. That's too inside baseball. I don't want to. Uh, Weird California, or the contactees, either or, I think would be really kind of cool things to talk about. Um, and I dropped, you know, I mentioned or Tim mentioned Micah Hanks' name as well. I think yep. I did. Yeah. As you know, a young guy, like try and bring some younger people who can talk about some some sort of far out stuff. 
And then, frankly, if I was them, I'd always bring a guy like Stan or Lauren, you know, one of the old lions in to be. Yeah, old lions and uh, asses and seats people. Yeah. And a guy like Chip Coffee, too. Yeah. People, whatever I think of psychic mediums, a lot of people dig psychic mediums. So, sure, let bring it on. Bring a psychic medium in and um, and not the angel lady, but uh, (laughs) someone like Chip Coffee and, you know, um, fill seats. And uh, yeah, we'll see who they who they bring in. I'd love to go back if they asked me to go back and do it. I would, you know, boom, I'm there. So yeah, well, it's cheap for them because all you have to do is drive there, so it, it actually saves them money, and then they can, I guess, fly in people that ask and seat people too. Yeah, yeah, I think Chip Coffee was the only one they had to fly in because Stan drove down. Yeah, and Lauren Lauren took the ferry from Portland, Maine, to Yarmouth, and then the hour long drive from Yarmouth to Liverpool. So. Oh, so he wasn't that far anyway. I, I didn't realize how, realize how close Maine was to um, where the conference was. Well, I think it's about a 12-hour ferry ride or something. Oh, but, really? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a cruise ship ferry or, or whatever. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, you know, Lauren, I guess that was probably the equivalent of flying. But otherwise, the rest of us were all local or didn't have to drive too far. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I give it a solid, and I mean no insult to the organizers. I want to give them room to grow. I give it a solid B+, plus, bordering on an A-. Minus. Oh, and, but that's a great, yeah, for a first effort, that's uh, yeah. kind of amazing. Well, considering I give my own conference a B+, plus, and if I factored in how much money I lost, I give it a C. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, yeah, in terms of uh, everything, in terms of how it was presented, I give them an A-. minus. In terms of maybe some scheduling stuff, I'd probably give them a B, so it averages out to a B plus. But oh, I think okay. they, their hearts are in the right place. They have the right idea, and they're doing a conference, I think, the way it should be done, which is that eclectic paranormal, yes. a little bit of everything. Smorg- let people sample everything on the menu. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they, and everything from and things awesome. they don't like and may not be on board with to things that they're totally on board with because that's that's how the conference should be, I think. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I wish there were more conferences like that. Um, I people would complain within ufology about the influence of the new age stuff at say a MUFON symposium. I actually never minded it. I didn't want you know, hey, give me the care. nuts and bolts, Stan and Bruce McAbee or whatever, and then you know what? Give me some Stephen Greer. And by the way, memo to the para, uh, the East Coast Para Conference people: do not bring Stephen Greer if you're listening. Do not bring <laughs> Stephen Greer. But you know, 13 years ago, Stephen Greer was kind of fun. Um, I saw Stephen Greer in 1987, I believe. He was speaking at a MUFON uh, meeting of about 20 people in a bank. Yeah, I mean, you know. At that point, he had no idea what was going on. He just said, I think I can can communicate with aliens. I'm not sure, but I I think I've got something here. And that was his whole shtick at the time. Yeah, Hitler started off in a beer hall in Munich in front of 20 people, too. <laughs> so, you know, you can grow a movement fairly quickly, and Greer has. He's grown his own movement, uh, and he's been very successful at it, so good for him. But he's not somebody I would ever bring into a conference. But, you know, there are people, sensible people, who are not Stephen Greer, that have a more new age kind of approach. Bring right. him in. Yeah, that's you know, fine. Bring, bring a contact in. Get some experiencers, experiencers in. You know, Laughlin used to do that. Um, yes. Maybe 10 years ago, they would have Ken Thomas or – no, no. I think Adam Parfrey came in and talked about some mind control stuff like uh, uh, MK Ultra stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Barbara Lamb would come in and talk about her abduction stuff. And then one time they had a contact D panel 
with a whole bunch of you know with Bob Short and some other contact. Yeah, Wayne Aho came, and it's like that. That was amazing to me. Um, and the, you know, the conference. I don't think conferences aren't so much like that anymore. But I think people would argue that the conferences are do have eclectic viewpoints. I, I don't think so. If there's not something in there that'll scare part of the audience or make them go huh or um, let them be exposed to something they haven't seen before. That that's um, I I I would I would say that that's uh, less an evidence than it was maybe ten or fifteen or twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. I remember some of those international UFO conferences. Um, you know, even ten ten years ago when I went, and um, yeah, they had a much more eclectic list of speakers than I think they probably do now. And certainly the the vendors room. Actually, you know where the eclectic stuff was at the East Coast Paracon? It was in the vendors room. Oh, I saw that. There was like a there was like a gong area that uh, Benal had a picture from. Yeah, and uh, he voice analysis or whatever you know, you find out what your soul is like by doing this voice analysis. So my thing is, um, I had a table and I had lots of copies of my books that I could have sold, but I actually I don't like. It's not that I don't like interacting with people, but I'm not Stan. I don't like selling stuff. I don't. Yeah, I don't like sitting there and you know waiting for an hour while nobody does anything, and then a hundred people come and they ask you questions, but they don't really buy the book, and you're just kind of like. Well, no, that's all right. I, I like talking to people one-on-one on my own time. Um, yeah. But, and, I don't like and sitting I behind the table to do it. It's just kind of torturous. Right. And Stan wants, and Lauren did too, you know, they want to make money. And that's, I'm perfectly, absolutely, 100% behind that because that's yes. more or less what they do. Well, that's what you're it's, doing when you're talking to them. You're kind of making them, it's like, oh, I talked to this guy that I've heard about and, uh, well, maybe I'll buy his book just to help him out. Right. They want to move product. Yeah. I, th- I don't get do this signed. for I don't do this for a living. I do it you know, more for fun. So I published my book for fun. I'm a filmmaker. That's how I allegedly make my money. So I could have given all my books away and I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. Um, I want to go and listen to the people giving the lectures. And I want to you know, hear what they have to say. That's where I want to be. I want to be on the floor listening to folks. So I, felt, I have to say I felt a little bad because you know, I thought maybe as a speaker I should be out in the vendor's section you know, talking to people maybe, but I, I managed to talk to enough people, I think just hanging out, listening to lectures and stuff that I kind of counterbalanced it. Um, and the only thing I lost was actually making any money. Really? <laughs> I think I, I sold three books today. Uh, ladies came up to me and said, look, can we buy one of your books? I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They, what do you, what do they cost? And I said, uh, if you get 10 bucks, I'll, 10 bucks is fine. <laughs> and, uh, Stan was sitting right next to me selling his for 20. And I think it was, wait a minute, you're undercutting me. So you just give me ten dollars, and I'll be fine. So, um, so yeah, you know the vendor stuff. They had some really. They had a lady who was doing palm reading, and um, you know whatever I think of any of that stuff. If I had had more time, I probably would have indulged in something like that. You know, sample from the smorgasbord. But I, I spent most of my time listening to the lectures. So, okay, yeah. On some uh, after a while at the lectures, the last few I went to or, or presented at, one of them was at Roswell, and. Of all people, Ferry Yordozu was there from uh, the Turkish ufologist or whatever you want to call her, um, paranormal researcher. And we were sitting there listening to somebody that we both were just going, what the hell? So I said, hey, Farah, do you, you just want to hop in the car with Sigrid and I and just go out for a drive and look at stuff? Maybe we'll go to Bottomless Lake State Park. And she said, yes, yes, Greg, please. So, <laughs> so we went and did that. And one time at the one of the conferences in Vegas, I think uh, Nick and I and a few other people from Britain hopped in. I rented a car. We hopped in it, and we, we ran off and 
uh, went to like Valley of Fire, Valley of Fire State Park, which was like an hour and a half drive, and yeah. they were amazed that we we went to this. Uh, we went to the uh, the Indian like um, liquor store and fireworks stand, which th- their their minds were blown. It's like what. You guys can buy fireworks and booze here and then just go out in the middle of the desert and get drunk and blow off fireworks? That's amazing. <laughs> Nothing like that in Britain, but it would be nice. You know, if there was an eclectic conference like that, as you're, as you're talking about, like this one was, I think I would be less inclined to leave. You know, I would like to hear what other people are saying. I would like to hear maybe things that I don't agree with or I haven't been exposed to before. That, that has happened at conferences, and it would be nice to have it happen again. Look, I, I could have walked down on the crazy angel lady this afternoon. <laughs> or, um, yeah, it was this afternoon. And um, I could crazy have even gone angel and lady. to Stan. Yeah. But you know what? She she did come across to me as crazy. And, and frankly, she kept dropping way too many references to the fact that, you know, it's a real gift that I'm here because normally you'd have to pay me a lot of money to do this kind of stuff. And I, uh, but she, to be fair, she was the only speaker who gave copies of her books away to the audience, like for free. Uh-huh. So, you know, fair, fair enough. Um, but I, it was, it was, it was like watching a really sort of bad Ed Wood movie and you can't look away. And I, I, it, it, at some point it kind of gathered its own momentum and I just wanted to see how it was going to end, like where she was going with all this, this stuff. I, I can't, it was, it was like watching a Cirque du Soleil show <laughs> and it just, madness in every direction and she was a very nice lady too so i had a nice a quick little chat with her and she's very i think she's a bit nervous too and she was just rambling on and she, and i thought this is this is kind of really bad but so bad it's good you know kind of this is fun and sure every conference should have one of these speakers so that you can kind of go yeah this is like a palate cleanser this yeah, is, so this, yeah, batshit corner for uh, for uh, an hour, and uh, then back to the other stuff. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe she's maybe she's legit. Maybe she can really talk to God and angels. I don't know. I don't think so. But you never know. And there were, as I said, people in the audience who were not only taking her seriously, but interacting with her and asking questions and stuff. So hey, who am I to say that everybody has to agree with me? And the only speakers you can have would be the ones that I would approve of. I ran that kind of conference, and I had 40 people. So, you know. Really? I thought there were more than that. No, it was actually probably um, 38 paying customers. Oh, no. Yeah, it seemed like a bigger crowd, but it wasn't. Um, And, you know, know, like I said, I was entertained. So that that was good. There were no speakers that I saw that didn't at least entertain me. So, you know, yeah, it 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 was a really cool conference there to be congratulated for putting on a good show. Wow, we've been talking for not quite an hour, and it sounds like we've stopped talking about it. Well, only in the sense that I probably need to take a quick bathroom break. It's almost the top of the hour, so we could take a quick music break or whatever you want to do. And uh, we could reconvene just after the the witching hour, 1 o'clock, or whatever time it is out there. Mm. I don't know. That would be my thought, but it's your show, so do whatever you want. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'm going to torture Paul. You can't go to the bathroom. No, I will. <laughs> I'll play something. You know, um, uh, it's what, about what, to get really paranormal now. Yeah, which one? Would, uh, do you have a suggestion? Otherwise, I'm going to play um, Jive Talking in Chinese. That would be good. I do know what song I want to play as my extra song. It will be my dedication to um, to Kelly and Linda at the uh, the para conference, but. 
So, but for now, you know, whatever you want. That's jive talking in Chinese sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, I'll play that, and we'll be right back with uh, Paul Kimball here talking about the East Coast Para Conference and maybe other stuff. And uh, there's a question from a listener too, which I will throw at you. Oh, okay, sounds good. Okay, talk to you in a little bit. Alrighty, I'll still be here, but I'm going to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> well, Paul is at the bathroom. Let's hear. I I don't even know who does this. It just says Chinese BGs jive talking. Paul, you back? Hi, Greg. It's Walter Bosley here. It is actually, not. Actually, I did a Walter Bosley impression during my lecture today, too, and I thought it was pretty darn good. What, what did you make him say? I can't remember. So, oh, we're, I was doing the thing about our synchronicity uh, stuff in the where the nines all came up, and I was relaying the thing about Josh, um, Josh Walter and his ERA. And how, while you guys were talking, I was looking to see if, if – because um, Walter brought up nine as a mystical number. And because and, um, uh, I – the Kimball Road had been on Highway 126, which adds up to nine. And Walter went, well, nine's a, nine's a mystical number. And, uh, you know, and you agreed, and then you guys started talking. And as I'm looking through my photos, I go, here, here it is, Walter. Uh, Josh, Walters, uh, Josh Walters' ERA, when he came into the game, was 4.05. And you can go back in your archives and listen to this because here's what Walter does. He goes – you know, it's like, and then he, he just started getting really weird and going on and on about nine. So we just, it, that is my favorite episode of any radio show I've ever done with the possible exception. It might tie with the episode you and Mac Tony's and I did um, in studio. It's, it's tied, but it's only because when you and Walter and I were doing it, so many weird things were happening synchronicity wise. And I was in the midst of that run of synchronicity that I wrote about in my book and it was happening live on air as we were talking about these synchronicities and it just kept happening. 
And I, I just, I actually love listening to that episode. And I usually don't like listening to myself after the fact on radio, but I can still listen to it and uh, go, yeah, that that's actually really fun. That's like weird, weird stuff going on there. Is that b- oh. bumping around? Is that you or is that something I'm doing? Sorry, that I might have hit the desk there. Sorry about that. Is this what you're hearing? Yes. Yeah, sorry. I, that was my hand. I was getting excited. I was going, yeah, it was a really cool episode. And I didn't realize I was hitting the desk, so... I'll, I'll pull my hands back. Oh, okay. I'm putting them down between my legs. I'm still Wait. hearing that noise. Is that is that wind coming from somewhere? Oh, I had, sorry, is it really bad? Because I had to turn my fan on. It's getting really sort of obnoxiously hot in my room. Then it's the fan. Uh, is there any way Jogging. you can have it blowing? I can, like... I can, I'll turn it off. Oh, Ooh. yeah, Paul is going to suffer for us here. I hope, because my... I've got a fan on in here, too, because it's hot, but... I've actually angled it slightly away from the microphone so I can possibly not get the... Uh, I've got a windscreen on it, but you never know. You know, just yeah. as you started talking about the nines, uh, mm-hmm. Paul, I looked down and I was like, I wonder how the Dodgers did today. They did horribly. They were winning like five to three, and in the seventh inning, nine runs were scored on them. Freaky. Yes. I expect a call in from Walter any minute now where he starts going on about nines and by the way i'm not making fun of walter i sort of did during my lecture today because i was doing his deep walter bosley voice <laughs> but i was i was only making fun of him as a friend and only making fun of his his radio voice because he holds the mic right up to it and goes that's the number nine paul or, or whatever <laughs> I, I wasn't i wasn't making fun of the content i i actually uh, really really sort of um, enjoyed that show. And it's funny, we were talking about Walter when we were driving back because Tim was in the back seat and he, and he basically, Stan and I talked to each other for about an hour and 40 minutes and Tim interjected every now and then. But he kind of let us talk. And I think he was probably, I hope he wasn't recording it because we might have said things about various ufologists that Stan probably wouldn't want out there. And um, <laughs> uh, I hope he was recording it. No, no. And one, but we we were talking about Walter, and Stan said, "Well, look, I don't really know Walter. I know who he is, but you know, what do you think? I think ah, Walter's a great guy. He's, I consider him a good friend. He's crazy, but he's good crazy. You know, he's like crazy, <laughs> open-minded, crazy, and um, unlike Greer, crazy. And you know, Walter's out there, but he's also a serious guy. He's a very I, Walter's one of the most interesting guys I've met in the paranormal world. You know what, East Coast Paraconference people, if you're listening, invite Walter Bosley up." to talk about any one of his books, the, the Empire of the Wheel or any of that stuff, you'll get an entertaining lecture full, you know, with a fair amount of sort of craziness, but also some interesting stuff that pure entertainment and some interesting theories too. So yeah, I'd rec- actually, I'd recommend Walter. Yeah, Walter. which reminds me, after Walter's book, which I am about two-thirds of the way through at this point, the newest one, um, I'm going to have him on probably in within the next few weeks. Hmm. So uh, people uh, come on back for that. Uh, oh, what was the question? Somebody, uh, one of the listeners, put a question on um, Facebook. Um, <laughs> it was actually a, a question about uh, making. Um, here it is. Can you ask Paul? Steve Calavetta writes. Can you ask Paul if he plans on directing or producing any more UFO-related documentaries in the near future? I really enjoy his work. Thank you, Steve. Oh. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Um, the first thing I'd say is that if you haven't seen all of my work, I think all of my films are available for free on the Internet because I think our U.S. distributors, Tim Crawford, particularly at UFO TV, but also Paranormal TV, uh, they're all available for free on YouTube through their channels. So you can look them up. 
That's my way of saying probably not. Um, frankly, if I was to do a UFO documentary, which would be very hard to fund, I tried. I tried to fund Beyond Best Evidence and um, an Indiegogo campaign that didn't raise a whole lot of money. And networks turned me down because they weren't interested because here was my pitch, including to space, which was the network I did best evidence for. Yeah. I said, look, I'd like to do a film. I'd like to do a sequel to best evidence. They went, okay, um, we're listening. Uh, cause we didn't hate that film. So that was interesting. What would you like to do? <laughs> I'd like to do beyond, beyond best evidence. All right. And then they immediately said, so you do like 10 more cases. And I went, no, no. I'd say I've made the case that there's something anomalous out there. So let's talk about what it is. The, I'm paraphrasing the conversation, but this is – I haven't worked for space since, by the way. So I – and I probably never will, so I'm not going to – I think you written. told me about this, but please yeah. repeat. And so this was in 2008, which is – I was transitioning towards feature films, which is what I want to do anyway. But I thought, look, I, I have one more UFO doc I'd like to do. I'd like to do this one. And uh, and so they said, oh, okay you know, like aliens, it'll be about space aliens, because apparently that's the only theory that they understood or knew. And I said, well, you know, we'll mention space aliens, but I'd also like to talk, and I started listening, guys, I'd like to have Jacques Vallée on, and, and he could talk about extra dimensionals, and we could also talk, you know, Passport to Magonia, if you guys read that, we could talk about how throughout human history, you know, dragons, Ezekiel's wheel, airships, how that we've had these settings, and there's, there might be uh, cultural things, and maybe it's an advanced non-human, it was basically, I pitched them my book, without yes. having read my book yet. And they, I shouldn't say they, it was one person, and I'm not going to say who it is, because uh, they're not a bad person, but their eyes glazed over. Yes. And, uh, you know, the pitch meeting was over, yeah. because they said, well, no, we like we do space aliens. And I went, I know you do space aliens, but shouldn't you try and do something a little bit more for your audience, you know? Yeah, and something went, a little bit different? Yeah, no, we, we do okay with space aliens. And frankly, we're getting out of the documentary business anyway. Because we can just import reality programming from the United States, eh. like ancient aliens or whatever. So I said, right. So the future does not look bright for me making films. If I ever do it, I'll have to do it on my own dime. Um, and it would basically consist of me going around and just interviewing guys like Jacques Vallée. And maybe um, it might be mostly talking heads, which you could never air on a network. They'd never go for that. No. But for me, it would just be, look, I, if you're interested in this stuff, sit down and listen to Jacques Vallée talk for 20 minutes about this. And then I'm going to go talk to, um, if he was still alive, even though I wasn't a fan, I'm going to go talk to John Keel, listen yeah. to him for 20 minutes. And then I go talk to you for 20 minutes. And then I go talk to, you Rick, know, uh, Rick Strassman, the DMT, uh, yeah, uh, guy. sure. Abs absolutely. And, um, uh, Nick. Redford, yeah. I taught yeah. Nick, I want you to talk about UFOs as maybe tulpas for 20 minutes or something. Yeah, exactly. And uh, here's a bunch of different theories, folks, all in one place. And I talked to Stan about space aliens. Yeah. You know, pick hey, I mean, my show has that. It's just that it's like, you know, 400 hours long and you have to sit through all that. <laughs> well, that's, that's, yeah, that's the other thing, too. At some point, I would say, why would I do that, though? Um, because there's so many good pod – well, actually, you know what? There aren't so many good podcasts. Let me rephrase. There are so many good episodes of your podcast. Um, yes, there are. Thank you so much, Paul. That people could go back and listen to. <laughs> And there's other there's a few other radio shows that I might say look listen, there are episodes of this that you could listen to yes many and many like, others in all of America yep. he's got a, like a ton of guests over the years that are really weird and talking about strange things mm -hmm. Micah Hanks occasionally has a guest on that I like um, and often you know they're guests that I wouldn't listen to but he has some interesting things and he has some interesting thoughts I like Micah and uh, I think I've just exhausted my list of shows that I would recommend 
But um, yeah, that probably be, and, and the archives for Errol Bruce Knapp's old show, Strange Days Indeed, which he ran for I think about ten years in Canada, where he talked pretty much all about UFOs. But he had another show called Mind Shift, and that was more about um, you know everything from psychics to to the non UFO weird stuff. Yeah, and yeah, go listen to that too because I think he has that stuff archived. And that'd be it. Those would be the ones I'd recommend. So in answer to Steve's question, it'll probably not, but I still do paranormal theme stuff in my feature films. Uh, my f- most recent film, Roundabout, was about um, alternate worlds and alternate lives where if you made a different decision, you could do, you could wind up in a different place and it had some time travel stuff and things. The one before that was about um, a devil, you know, interacting with two women in a cabin in the woods. So. You know, I still the paranormal. I've never left the paranormal, or um, I still enjoy it. I'd like to actually do more conferences, uh, which is weird. I never thought I'd say that, but <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing a few conferences a year. Nice, good conferences like the East Coast Para Conference, yeah. run by good people, where um, you know there's that eclectic kind of thing. I don't think I'd want to do a UFO conference, but I could do a conference where UFOs were one of the subjects. And frankly, I'd rather talk about ghosts. And high strangeness UFO cases because I think the two are inextricably linked potentially. So I was just I just had a great question and I lost it because because um, uh, Go Rightly just messaged me and says do do people know, does he know that Best Evans is on Netflix? I, I'm sure he does. I said yeah he does. I know it's on Netflix, but I can't get it here. It's not on Canadian Netflix. It's only on U.S. Netflix. No, oh, so. goddammit. Yeah, I do. My my question came back. Um, what? What do you see in the ghost cases and the paranormal ghost chasing stuff that you do? And I think I know what the answer would be, but um, that you don't see in the UFO chasing stuff, if you want to call it that. Direct experience. Ha. Yeah. I can go. Now, I've never done this. You could theoretically um, do the kind of Greer thing where you could go out to a desert or something and, you know, try and make contact with space aliens if they're up there. Or an advanced non-human intelligence that would be masquerading as space aliens or taking the guise of space aliens. So I suppose you could do that. It's just they get scorpions and snakes and lizards in the desert. I'm not big on that stuff. So I can go to places like the Astor Theater or somebody's old farmhouse. You know, I'm an historian at heart, too. So the ghost hunting thing appeals to me more than the UFO hunting or investigating thing because a lot of it's rooted in history. So right. every building has a story. The Astor Theater has a great story. When we were at Shocklack Church, which is uh, one of the episodes we did for Ghost Cases that I really like, uh, and I told that story today, that's a church from the 1300s on the English-Welsh border. I mean, I'm right in my element when I go to a place like that, even if there's not a single paranormal thing that happens there. I just enjoy spending eight hours at that church, hanging out in that the churchyard. Turns out a lot of weird stuff happens, so bonus. So for me... There's that historical element. There's the, the the varying different buildings, all that kind of stuff. I you know, yeah. I, I just find the ghost investigating stuff more interesting. I can root around in cellars and and creepy places and things. I don't know. There's I, I like it more than the UFO. The idea of doing UN, UFO investigations in a field, shining a flashlight into the sky. Not so much. And uh, otherwise, UFO investigating is talking to witnesses. Yeah. And that that's great, but it's not experiential. And the one thing that changed my view, you would know from having known me for years now, I've become much less skeptical and much more, I mean, almost to the point of being a believer, at least, that there might, that there's an advanced non-human intelligence interacting with us, because I think it might have interacted with me in ways that I can't explain, and I've tried, 
in sort of skeptical prosaic explanations, like directly interacted with me, including last night. So I, as I said today, more than once in my lecture, here's a story, blah, blah, blah. And then, well, what do I do with that? <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, my answer was always, what do I do with this? I can't explain this. But it was it's something weird happened to me or it happened to Holly or whatever. And um, I never got that with UFOs. I could talk to witness after witness after witness, right. and I did. And I take this story seriously, and it happened to you and all that stuff. But I couldn't go out there and replicate it myself. And with right. the ghost thing, I, I can talk to somebody and say, yeah, this is what happened to me in this haunted place or this place is haunted and I won't tell you what happened to me, but you can go in and see if something happened to you, which is usually the approach we took. And then if something did happen, we would tell them, they'd say, look, well, the, it, the same thing happened to us. And then I go, yes, repeatability even. Yeah, um, so, in, so in a certain sense, way. Yeah. And sometimes in the exact same way, if they see the same thing or generally the same thing. Yes, exactly. Or experience the same thing. So I, I kind of get the fascination people have with ghost investigating. Um, and so I kind of like it more. The, the, I still love the UFO subject, though. But I have def definitely drifted, and it's probably the influence of you, Mac, and Nick over the years, um, into the high strangeness camp. And my own ghosty stuff. Because the more you experience the high strangeness stuff with the ghost thing, for instance, the more I think I, you're drawn to the high strangeness UFO cases because they tend to resemble the ghost cases mm -hmm. or poltergeist cases. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't talk about the RB47 case today, which is my favorite nuts and bolts UFO case. I talked about the Bedford, Nova Scotia case from 1976, which I think I've talked about on your show before briefly, uh, or which is, you know, two houses right next to each other, an RCMP officer investigates. One, the, a couple in one house is called, they see a light in the sky, he sees it too. He calls around. There's no helicopters or planes in the area. Fine. He goes next door, talks to the neighbors who don't like the first group of people. They haven't seen anything, but they've been hiding in their bedroom because their entire house was shaking and there were loud train-like rumbling noises going through their house Yeah. at the same time as they were seeing the lights. And as I said to the audience today, and I described, I, you know, I talked about it a lot longer, but I said, what do you do with that? And the RCMP officer's thing was, what do you do with that? It wasn't a hoax. The neighbors, it was the Hatfields and McCoys. They didn't like each other. No RCMP officer who valued his career would ever write up a report, as this guy did, about something like that if he was in on a hoax because you'd be fired for something like that. Right. I know. I, I work for the RCMP. Right. That, it, they could be fun-loving guys, but they would never fake an official report that you get fired for that. So – you know, what do you do with something like that? You can't explain it. You've got different people in the exact same place at the exact same time experiencing audio or auditory and visual stimuli in different ways. And to me, that is, again, going back, I, to me, that looks exactly like a Cirque du Soleil show. Or if you sit down to watch Mystere in Vegas, I've seen several – I love Cirque du Soleil. It's, as Patton Oswalt said, it's catnip for old people, but it's also catnip for me. And because it's this – every there's so many moving parts – and so I could be looking at one part of the stage and there could be a cat guy climbing the wall. And meanwhile, somebody else in the audience on the other side is looking at their part of the stage and there's a guy in, in baby diapers blowing a giant balloon through a trombone or something. I don't know. And, you know, it's, it's like you could go see that show 10 different times. They could run the exact same show and you still wouldn't see everything that's going on. And I find that an interesting metaphor for the paranormal. You could go to a allegedly haunted place 10 different times and you might not experience all the different things that other people experience. So that's why a lot of people keep going back to the same location, because every time they go there, something a little different happens to them. What happened to you in, the, uh, in that theater uh, yesterday or the day before? 
I'm, I'm still working my way through that. And, you know, it's like processing it. But here, I'll start it this way. I hadn't spoken, as I, I said earlier, to Stan, I don't know exactly how long, but probably two or three years. Uh, might have had an email, but um, one or, actually, I think I had emailed and we corresponded briefly around the Roswell Slides thing, where I just said, look, what do you think? Please tell me you're not going to Mexico City. And he said, no, because it's crazy. And that was the extent of our, you know, I said, good for you, Stan. Yeah. Uh, clearly, you're smarter than Rich Dolan or, or any of these other guys. Good. Um. So we hadn't really talked or even corresponded. We hadn't seen each other in years. And um, and he called me out of the blue this past week. And he, he he emailed me first. And he said, look, do you know a guy, anything about a guy named Jay Weedner? And I was thinking, no, I've never heard of this guy. So I Googled him. And he's a guy who thinks the, the moon landings uh, were faked. Um, I don't think he explicitly says they were faked, but he says the photos were all faked. And the implication he draws is the landings were faked and we never went to the moon or whatever. Right. Which I think is craziness. But Stan, I guess, was going on the Art Bell show, and um, Bell had said, look, I want you to talk, sort of debate this Weedner guy. And Stan asked my advice about, well, what do you think about the photos and everything? You're the only film guy I know. So um, I sort of looked into it. I, I get, sent him a couple of articles. I said, look, these are really good debunking articles of all those moon conspiracy theories um, that it, from a photographer or filmmaker's point of view, explain exactly why those photos look the way they do. Right. And these are perfectly legitimate answers, and, and off you go. And we, and, we, and we talked on the phone for the first time in a couple of years. We had a nice, very long, pleasant conversation about that, and then we talked about the festival or the conference a little bit. And I said, yeah, I'll see you on Friday. So, um, but that's something, like, I never would have imagined Stan and I the first thing that we would have talked about after a couple of years of not talking would be moon hoaxes. It's not in his. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not in his wheelhouse, and it's definitely not in my wheelhouse. Those are, I mean, things that neither of us really pay any attention to because. So of we course, that's what Bell was going to talk about. Yeah, we don't consider it of any interest because, you know, it's case closed, kind of thing. So anyway, okay, let's skip ahead to my lecture today. I, I barreling through the lecture. Stan's turning the slides for me, so we're in our little slide monkey. We're we're working together. Even it's not like he's just sitting there listening to me. He's actually part of the lecture, kind of thing. And uh, he made a point of coming to my lecture. He could have been out selling books, but he said, "I want to see your lecture because I've started reading your book." And he said, "Your book, there's some really interesting stuff in there." So who knows? Maybe years after years of trying to get him off MJ12 and argue you know, against MJ-12, maybe my book will finally convince Stan there's another way of looking at things. I don't know. So anyway, I said, look, are there any questions? It's a good sign. Yeah. Well, I think Stan's become more, he's he's always been open-minded, but I think as he, I don't mean this in a bad way, but a heart attack will focus your attention. Yes. Turning 80 will focus your attention. Mm -hmm. And Stan, a lot of people don't know this. Stan, if, uh, because they don't know Stan, they think they know Stan, but they know the Stan that talks about Roswell and then they talk to him for 10 minutes and they think they know him. Right. Stan has a wide range of interests. He and I have had as many conversations about religion and spirituality and about baseball as we have over the years about um, UFOs. Yes. So, you know, Stan's always been long before they were doing Ancient Aliens. I was in 2001. I was filming Stan and Barry Downing talking about ancient aliens, you know, and, and Bible and the flying saucers and Stan rattling off biblical verses about Sodom and Gomorrah. And it could have been a nuclear explosion. All the stuff that people are making a lot of money on now. Stan and Barry Downing were talking about that. 16 years or what, 14 years ago, and Barry Downing was talking about it 35 years ago. So right. timing, time, it's like location, location, location. So anyway, moon, nothing we would ever have talked about. So there we are, 
First time ever, Paul and Stan working together. First time we had ever talked about the moon thing was just a couple days ago. I said, look, I got time for one question because the guys were, I ran late and they were trying to shoot me off in a very polite way. So I, I think I can take one question. Two hands went up. I wound up taking two questions, but uh, I thought I could only take one. So I pointed to this lady right in front of me and she, okay, now at this point, it's important for me to note that I had some audio visual content in my presentation that I couldn't use because I was trying to demonstrate, including a clip from your radio program, but the setup wouldn't play. I could do the PowerPoint thing, but I couldn't play the embedded video and audio hmm. because I wanted people to actually hear you and Walter and I talk about the 4.05 and all that nine stuff. Yeah. So I had to, I had to describe it. That was funnier because I got to do my Walter impersonation. But what, <laughs> the thing the thing I was going to do to demonstrate co-creation, I had actually I I love mashups, especially when they're well done. Yes. And one of my favorite mashups is the Jackson Five and the Beatles, and the song is in my life, and it's um, Jackson Five. Oh baby, give me one more chance. You know that one. Yes. One, two, three, four, and that. So I had this mashup where it's that music and John Lennon singing in my life, and it works perfectly. So I was yes. going to say, look, this is how some audio guy took two really great songs from two great bands, and he matched them together, and that he's part of now the co-creation. I was going to use this as an example. But it's important to note, one of those was Michael Jackson, and I couldn't play it. So anyway, this lady raises her hand, and she says to me, uh, I said, yes, ma'am, what, what's your question? And she says, what do you think about the... Uh, the moonwalk. And the first thing that went in my mind was, she asked me about Michael Jackson moonwalking, because I was still thinking about, oh, it's a shame I couldn't play that Michael Jackson Beatles mashup clip. And I, I looked at her and I said, um, the Michael Jackson, the moonwalk, you want me to do it? And she said, no, 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 the moonwalk. And I went, oh, you're asking me about the moon landings. <laughs> and, her, and then she said, yes, do you think they were faint? And I went, whoa. And even Stan looked up at me. And I yeah. immediately said, you folks have no idea how synchronicity-oriented that question is because of all the questions you could possibly ask me. That's something I hadn't talked about the moon thing at all in my lecture. It came just totally out of left field. And, you know, there's Stan and I. We hadn't talked for a couple of years. And the reason we talked was because of the moon landing hoax thing. And I was talking to Stan about it in the car back, and he, he sort of went, yeah, that was pretty weird, Paul. That was that was very sort of synchronicity. Or does that? And he said, "Does that happen to you a lot?" And I went, "It's more than I would have thought when I was younger, Stan." Um, it does. So you just got dragged into my weird. And it, yeah, and it comes in waves too. Yes, and part of it was this. This was the cherry. Tim Banal. He was part of it too. It's like I was a vortex of synchronicity. So Tim uh, stayed the first two nights here in Halifax. And there's a lot of hotels he could have stayed in. If I had a couch, he could have surfed on my couch. But um, I said, look, Tim, there's a hotel about two blocks from my house called the Commons Inn. You can stay there. It's got three floors. It's a nice little boutique hotel. It's probably got, you know, 50, 60 rooms. Tim's like, yeah, man, whatever. So and he, he really liked the hotel. It's a nice hotel. He was in room 311, 311. Yep. Goes, goes down to Liverpool. He's rented a hotel or in the Best Western, three floors of rooms, Probably about 120 rooms, I guess. Guess what his room number is? Yes. 311. I think he mentioned this on uh, on Facebook, too. Yeah. So what are the odds? I don't know. Probably pretty long. So you could chalk that up as a coincidence. And if that was the only thing that happened, I would say that's maybe that's a coincidence. But it was part and parcel of the series of synchronicities that were happen, happening. And the last one was um, 
did a, was the moon landing. The whole moon thing was Stan, which I, I thought that's really cool. But this all relates to your question about what happened last night. Time for isn't it in a movie? This is where you or a television show you take a commercial break. But I'll just barrel on if that's okay with you. No, that, that's, oh, it's, uh, I mean, okay. it's it's perfectly fine for you not to stop. Go right ahead. Oh, okay. So um, this is going to be very rambling esque, uh, but um, I want it to be. When I write it up, I will condense it in a more coherent kind of way. I won't alter it or edit it or or, or make it um, you know um, gin it up, but I'll make it more coherent. So I have been thinking lately about Holly Stevens, my old – I haven't talked – again, people I haven't talked to. I haven't talked to Holly in four years, five years because she moved out west to British Columbia with her boyfriend uh, to Vancouver. And uh, you know, I, we're Facebook friends and I see her odd posts and she will occasionally like one of my posts. But we, we don't really talk. Um, it's a Skydigger song. We don't talk much anymore. Uh, because we have no reason to talk. We're now co-hosting a show, and she's got her life out there, and i got my life here. But because I was going to this paranormal conference, and I knew I was going to be um, talking at least a, a, some about ghosts, and I knew I might get dragged into one of these ghost investigations, I started thinking about Holly and our time ghost hunting and all that sort of stuff. And I had posted a couple of things on my Facebook page, and the paranormal conference's face, the Paracon's Facebook page, you know, like, look, here's a clip from our ghost hunting adventures. Here's what I've done. If you want to know what I'm about, you might find this interesting kind of thing. Part of, you know, trying to help sell the conference or whatever. And uh, so Holly was on my mind, as they say. And, you know, she hadn't really been on my mind for for quite a while. Um, But, you know, really on my mind. I was giving it a lot of thought. And I think it was the day before I left, I made this post. And uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm on Facebook now. I'm going to see if I can find the exact post because it's, I think it's a little, as Walter would say, it's important. Yeah, well, you didn't hear it, but I was playing that uh, Jackson 5 Beatles mashup. You hear it? Yes. I liked it a lot. I love that. That's brilliant. Here it is. This is it. So it was last night at 9.19. I took a picture of myself in my hotel room, and the thing was, headed out for a ghost investigation for the first time since ghost cases, which is true. I haven't done a ghost investigation since May of 2009 in England. And I write, hope I don't get strangled again. Because I had been joking with a few people at the conference. Yeah, they they asked me, you know, what was your – I ran into these two people. This is is important. I ran into these two very nice people, um, older folks – who had moved to Nova Scotia uh, from Ontario. And I was chatting to them uh, with them on Friday for about 15 minutes. And they were talking to me about, they had specifically come to sort of see me and Stan, I guess. And uh, they wanted to talk to me about ghosts. And so they said, well, okay, what was your scariest moment as a ghost investigator? And I said, well, okay, because um, I've been thinking about this. It was when I was in the old jail cell in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. And uh, Holly and I were locked in this jail cell, and all the lights were out. And it was this—it was the last hanging in Charlotte County. It was in 1942. An RAF uh, sergeant named Tom Hutchings had raped and murdered a local girl. He was convicted, sentenced to die, and hanged. And they built the gallows literally right next to where he was in the last cell in the building. And he could hear them building the gallows outside next to his cell. Because, you know, they didn't hang a lot of people in, in Canada, even when we still hang people. So they, had, they would have to build a gallows. So Holly and I had gone in, and there was this episode. 
and I was I was still at the beginning of my ghost investigating career, so I was still very sarcastic and snarky. So I took they had a rope hanging in the hallway, um, a hangman's rope, and I took it in with me, and I was saying, "Yeah, come hang me," you know, like uh, if you're going to do something ghosty, you know, bah, take me on. And it was pitch black. You all you can do is hear us. It's be, it's terrible television. But fortunately, we would cut to us talking about it later. Yeah. But there's just this black void with the camera. Holly was sitting on my right. We're both on the bench. It was it was really cold because it was winter. It was unheated. It was very uncomfortable. She had an EMF meter, and I was ex- not just skeptical. I was dismissive of the EMF stuff. And uh, that was sitting on her right. I couldn't see it, A, because it was pitch dark, and B, because she was blocking me. And um, all of a sudden, I'll never forget this. This was the first really sort of crazy thing that happened to me in my ghost hunting investigating thing she and i both went at the exact same time whoa or you know words to that effect like whoa and whoa yeah. and we we sort of turned to each other and couldn't really see each other but she sort of touched me and i touched her and it's like you know did you yeah did you and it turns out no we didn't her thing was she said i looked down and um and she saw sort of a, a blackness move in front of her that was even blacker than the blackness in the room. I mean, there was a you could it was ninety five percent dark, and so she kind of talked about a shadow that turned it a hundred percent dark. And then she looked to her right, and at the as, at the time that happened, her EMF meter spiked. It had been sitting at zero zero zero, and then zoop, up it went. And she said, "So you saw the blackness?" I went, "No, no I didn't see anything. I was strangled." And she went, "Strangled?" I said, "Yes, I was sitting there." And if it was minus 10 degrees in the cell, uh, you know, your aver- whatever the temperature was, your average temperature, it was like it suddenly became minus 50 degrees around my neck. And this, it wrapped around my neck and constricted. Like, you know, I had this feeling of having, being choked or strangled. And she went, really? And I went, yeah, you're not just saying it? <clears throat> and I went, no, because she did not, at that point, I was the guy, like, I just wouldn't talk about anything. And I, even if it, generally, if it had happened, I wouldn't even admit it. But this was so visceral and so in the moment, I just you know blurted out, and they were like, "Let us out of here!" And, and my co-producer, uh, Dale, was going, "No, you got another thirty minutes to go," and it's like, "No, no, let us out of here!" And uh, we stuck it out for about another twenty minutes. Nothing else happened, but we just spent the next twenty minutes talking about it um, amongst ourselves, between ourselves, mm-hmm. and um, you know that. That was one of those experiences, like about six experiences that I will never forget from that show. And so one of the things when I was thinking about Holly in particular was, you know, Holly and I could never see each other ever again. Like we never have occasion, and I hope this isn't true, but if we never actually see each other again, I think Holly and I, for a whole host of reasons, and you know what many of them are, are connected. Um, And a lot of it has to do with the shared turmoil starting in the experience that was Eternal Kiss, where I I sunk into a hole, and the only two people who kept me from going completely mad were you and Holly. And then continuing on through our time with ghost cases, where, yeah, we had crew guys with us and locals, but at the end of the day, two people walked into the rooms and were alone with each other, and whatever might be in there. And it was Paul Kimball, and it was Holly Stevens. And we shared that kind of thing. So when that happened in the jail cell, when things happened in other places, it was me and Holly. And I think that you know creates a kind of connection that would never be broken. Yeah. So um, so yeah, that was really on my mind. And so I joked about you know hope I don't get strangled again, because that was the first thing that popped into my mind. So anyway, we go to the Astor Theater. Sorry, this seems very long-winded, folks, but to me it's important context. As I keep telling people when I do occasional lectures, the most important thing about any of this paranormal stuff 
is context. Yes. If you want to, if you want to try and find some meaning, or if you want to see whether it might be real, there has to be. It can't just be something random happening. As you, it yes. has to be. Yes. That that's what I think people should be start uh, describing stuff that it's subjective rather than what they think is objective. But go ahead. Right, because if it is some form of advanced non-human intelligence interacting with you, it's interacting with you, yes. which means it can, it I think, understand what you're thinking, and it's it's giving you some of maybe what you expect. Right. So anyway, we're sitting in the Astor Theater. It's uh, it, and it was they had just done the chip coffee thing. There's no air conditioning in there. There's two ceiling fans, and uh, Kelly, who was leading the uh, the expedition sort of kind of apologized to people. And she said, look, it's really warm in here. We had an awful lot of people in here, and there's still some of that. And the ceiling fans don't really distribute air, which they didn't. And I had overdressed. I had a, a long sleeve shirt on because uh, it was a little chilly outside. I had a sweater on and my sort of ghost, my vest, the vest that I always wear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took the, um, the sweater off, but I was still wearing the vest. And they were all, they're standing, you know, she, they turned the lights off. They closed the doors, turned the lights off, were inside. And they're taking flash pictures every now and then, and they're playing with the EMF meters in this sort of big theater. And I wandered off because this is what I do. I don't want to be part of the group. I think if you're going to have an experience, you have to go to a place, sit down, open yourself up to it. But you know, you can't be right. yibber yabbering and chatting. And I know why they uh-huh. were doing it. She had the, it was her and another guy leading a group of paying customers, and it was kind of like here's the tour and here's what we do and all that. And, um, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to do my own thing. So I, and Benal had gone somewhere else. So he had wandered out. So I sat down on the stage next to one of the big speakers and I just propped myself up against the speaker and I just kind of sat there and I went, mm-hmm. you know, huh. And I was thinking, oh, it is boiling in here. Like I'm starting, I've been up all day. I'm really starting to feel a little sick, frankly, cause I'm really hot. And then here's what happened. I thought about Holly. She just popped into my mind. You know, wow, the, I, it wasn't like this when we were ghost hunting. It was winter when we did it, you know, kind of thing. And then, boom, around my throat, this intense cold that I had not experienced since 2009 in the jail cell in St. Andrews. And then it went down my arms and it sort of enveloped me. And I, I actually went like this. And I had that brief moment of fright, but it was a lot briefer than it would have been six years ago because I eventually you get used to it. I realize I don't think if there is something interacting with you, a it could just be my imagination. I'm sure Lance Moody would listen to this and go, "Wow, well, it's your imagination, Paul." But it, so that's not going to hurt me. But even if it is, as I think, something interacting with you, my experience has been um, it's not harmful. It might be frightening, the same way that going to the Blair Witch Project is frightening, yeah. but it's not actually yeah. going to do you physical harm. It's playing with you in a sort of um, George Romero kind of way. So I was like, oh. and, uh, you know, I, it's not my way to go say to the rest of the group, you know, Hey guys, I just had a cold thing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> because they had been talking, look, if you feel a cold spell, that's a sign of a haunting and everything. Oh. And just before that had happened, I did hear one of the ladies. This is uh, true. I'd forgotten this. Like I said, stream of consciousness. I'll have to write this down in a more coherent way. Um, she had said, Oh, my EF, my EMF meter just spiked one of the civilians who was in there for the tour. And it was just a few seconds after that, that the cold thing happened. So it was mirroring to some degree, the experience I had with Holly where her EMF meter spiked different experience. And I had the cold thing. Okay, fine. So it, it dissipated. And so I thought, Oh, I got up and I went, Oh, maybe I should go tell Tim about this. I'll talk. Tim can be my Holly tonight. I'll talk to Tim about this. <laughs> and, uh, and Tim was downstairs in the basement and, 
he had gone down with one other guy and uh, and I hadn't been down yet. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go down to the basement, which is where the dressing room is. And um, so I go down. There's two sets of stairs that lead down on either end of the stage. You can take the stage right, you can take stage left, and they both lead like to the basement on different ends. And then there's this long hallway where all the dressing areas are and everything. And so I took the left one. And I walk down, and I see Tim there. And I can't see the other stairwell. That's important. I haven't even looked at it. I see Tim, and he's got this door open. And the door is leading into the maw of hell. It is, you know, he, he and this guy he was down with, Barry, his new friend Barry, had Barry just sort of pried open this door, which was really hard to pry open, I guess. And it led to the real undercarriage of the stage. Spiders. And I posted a picture on my Facebook page. Right. Like pipes and creepy stuff. And that reminded me of a place that I had been um, with Holly at St. Andrews. Because one of the other stories about St. Andrews was the place next to the jail cell, um, there had been paranormal activity reported underneath the courthouse. And the courthouse, the basement of the courthouse, which I had gone down in, had looked pretty much kind of exactly like this basement I was now walking into with Tim. He said, hey, Kimball, come here. you got to take a look at this. Look at this. This is cool stuff's going to happen in here. And Barry had wandered off, so it was just Tim. And I went, oh, okay, this is really weird. This looks like this. And I kind of forgot about mentioning the coal thing to Tim because I went, yeah, this, this is actually really cool in here, Tim. This is, I don't know if it's haunted, but this is really cool. And Tim and Tim wandered off, and I took, I said, look, here's a few tourist shots. Tim, give me a ghost cases pose. Boom. Give me your ghost hunter pose. And I took a couple shots of Tim, and he wandered off down one area because it split off like the Millennium Falcon into a couple of different areas. And I wandered into the other area. I turned around. I looked. I saw him walking back from his place, and he was walking out the door. I said, yeah, um, uh, I'm going to go upstairs again, and I'll probably com- I'll be back in five or ten minutes. I went, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll be down here. I'm just going to wander through here. And he went, yeah, it's really creepy down this way. You should go down where I was. Okay, fine. So I kind of take a few pictures of myself, too, and I'm taking selfies. And I go, yeah, this is cool. I wander down, and as I get to the end, I really start thinking about Holly and that experience in St. Andrews. I just went through the cold with the wrapping around the throat with the lady with the EMF meter, and now I'm in a basement that you know is kind of close to an exact copy of that kind of creepy um, – what's the right word I'm looking at? I was going to say disreputable, but you know, sort of – Yeah, the dark – dark, Yeah, dark and uh, – uh, story-filled, uh, historic, in a in yes. a scary way area. In a, in a horror film, it's where a serial killer would take his victims to chop them up kind of thing. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking about Holly, I'm thinking about Holly, I'm thinking about Holly. Now, before I give you the punchline to this, travel back to those two people I said I was talking to on Friday about ghost cases. There was one other thing we talked about, and that was travel. Because they, they, they had said they just finished um, – they just moved here from Ontario and they said, yeah, and you know, we haven't been there long. And as soon as we got there, we kind of did a trip to Europe. I said, oh, well, where did you go in Europe? And I can't – I think they said Italy and France and they might have gone to um, Spain. They kind of you know, did some usual suspects. I said, yeah, I was in Europe in 2009 with Holly because um, we were already over there shooting four episodes in England. We thought, well, look, if the production's paying to fly us over and back – why don't we just build a vacation into this? It's the end of the shoot. This can be our congratulatory vacation. So we did a week in Scotland and uh, four days in London, and then we went to the Czech Republic. And uh, And they said, oh, yes, we've been to London. It's lovely. And I said, yeah, here's the thing about London. We did five musicals in four days because Holly and I both love musicals. And uh, she really got me to love musicals. Well, as you would know, when we were visiting you, we went to see Wicked. Yeah. And uh, and they said, oh, what musicals did you go see? And I said, uh, we saw The Lion King. Eh. 
uh, Phantom of the Opera, which is always fun, uh, Wicked, which is always fun, um, the closing show of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Apollo Theater, which was a blast, and Les Miserables, which is my second favorite musical, second only to Jesus Christ Superstar, which I love. So I, I said they were all great, but, you know, Les Mis, I'm a Les Mis guy. And um, to the point of, and then I told him I just finished shooting a feature film and I had to cast a young guy and a young girl to play younger versions of the lead characters. And I took a look at a bunch of girls and I cast a girl named Minuet Sharon solely on the basis. I didn't audition her. Uh, my old partners, the Hills, run a talent agency. She, They were doing my extras casting. And she was one of the names that was on their roster, but they hadn't given it to me. Um, I looked at her picture on their website and I said, no, oh, she kind of looks like a younger version of my lead actress. Well, I'll see what she's done. She's done Les Mis. She sure. played the little girl that appears on the poster in Sydney Cape Breton. Yep. So I said, well, okay, if she's done Les Mis, good enough for me because that's my second favorite musical after only Jesus Christ Superstar. Fine. So all of this is going through. I had talked about uh, all of this with these people and I'd really been selling the Les Mis experience in London. So here I'm in the basement. I'm thinking about Holly and Holly and our experience and our connection and everything is going through my mind. I walk out. And now, here's the other thing. Upstairs in the theater, posters everywhere. Historical posters of past productions they've done, you know, like all sorts of stuff. Um, Dracula, whatever. In the basement, I only saw one. And um, I'll tell you what that one was in just a second because I turned and I was going to walk in the direction I had come from those left stairs, stage left. I was going to head back the way I came. I took two steps and I felt a bristling chill on the back of my neck. I turned around and what do I see stage right on the stairs leading up there? A poster for a production of Les Mis that had been done in the Astor Theater a few years ago. And I went, whoa. As I said to the audience today, what do I do with all that? I don't know. I'm still yeah. processing that. But yeah. you know, you, that no, was you don't know what you do with that, and maybe nothing. And there's context, and also what might happen in the future with that. I think you might get a, an aha moment, and then that will be the um, that that will be your your denouement. Or oh, here we co- here we go with a uh, a uh, a siren coming. Oh, great. So now We're it's one to one. We're tied one to one. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think that'll happen. You know that. That context may reveal itself, you know, with, let's let the siren go. Excellent. That context may reveal itself in time. I mean, you've had that happen to you before where you, and I've heard this from many people where days, weeks, years later, they say, that's what that was. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that I sort of think about is, it, again, it's, it's, it's something as mundane as if you open yourself to the experience and maybe you have some experiences in the past. So maybe you've already opened the door previously. Um, you know, it's kind of like going to see movies. I just went to see another movie and last night I got a bit of a sequel to a previous movie, but I also think it does come back. And it's funny. This struck me too, that Jackson five mashup with the Beatles, the song in my life. You know, there are places we remember, there are people that we connect with, and I don't think there are very many of them in our lives. I can probably count outside of family members, so I'll set my family aside, people that I was not born into having a connection with. I can count maybe on two hands, certainly one, maybe two or three other fingers, the people I've felt a genuine, real connection with. Uh, Linda, my former fiancé, who's still my best friend, my old friend Peter Black, Mm -hmm. you, Mac, 
um, Holly. You know, even though we only really spent a year, and when I say together, folks, I don't mean together, but you know, to, a year together, working on stuff and hanging out, hanging out, and 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 revealing. You know, when we were traveling through Europe, we would we would get drunk and reveal our deepest, darkest, or brightest secrets or whatever to each other, mm-hmm. um, which I don't generally do with anyone unless they're in that five or six person group. And you know, I just thought, you know, maybe this is whatever it is telling me I should send Holly a note, or maybe I should visit Vancouver and say hello or, you know, make sure the next time she's in town, we should get together for a beer. Um, you, you're connected to these people. You should try and keep, cause I often let the connections fall. I haven't, sometimes I can go months without talking with you, for instance, right. my, my old friend, Peter, I haven't talked to Peter in seven or eight months and he lives just, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes away from me. And Mac, um, I, you know, I had gone a few months without talking to Mac before he died. And then I talked to him the week before he died. And I, I, you just realize when that happens, yeah, you know, you should make more of an effort because time goes by quickly. So maybe that's what I was being told last night, that it's time to reconnect with Holly. I don't know. But I just, you know, the, the mixture of all of those things, it's still bouncing around in my mind. What does it mean? Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it is, as Lance would probably say, all just a coincidence. But it didn't seem like a coincidence to me. It seemed like it was a co-creation that I and whatever else was out there were working together without me knowing it to right. lead me to a particular place on those stairs to look up, see that poster of Les Mis, my conversation with those people, um, my, my post on Facebook, my thoughts about all of this sort of stuff. Boom. And then to me, the, it's like the cherry on the top today was with the moon landing thing. And again, connections. I know people think Stan and I, some people might think Stan and I hate each other because we don't agree on a lot, but Stan and I get along great. I, I consider, he's not in that super close group, but I consider Stan and I have a connection. I yeah. genuinely love Stan. He's a, a decent, good man. I was quite concerned when he had his heart attack, you know, and I thought, I haven't st- talked to Stan in years. I, I was looking forward to seeing him. And so, you know, there's Stan. The final uh, thing was this moon landing thing. And Stan volunteered to be my slide turning monkey. And, you know, <laughs> we were working together for the first time in our lives, actually doing sort of a presentation together where he was helping me because I've done his slides before. Yeah. And then that question about the moon and we and he even looked up at me. We had this little moment where we looked at each other and his, he raised his eyebrow like Dr. McCoy. Yeah. And like, this is this is weird. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, so maybe this was my weekend to sort of think about connections with people and maybe this this experience i had was to really drive home you know i have to maintain those connections who knows yeah well it could be the other thing uh, when you're saying all this which was a very good story and thank you for recounting the entire thing in context is that the first thing i think of is that when um the first remote viewing experiments were being done in in uh in the 19 late 70s at uh, srl in um in uh, or is it Menlo Park there in the Bay Area um, they found out whether you believe what was going on or not um, but uh, this will come through personal experience I've had this personal experience that the more connection you could have with the outcome of the thing you were looking at like you would remote view a place and then they would take you there Afterwards, after you get, had all your in-person impressions and wrote everything down, who knows whether you were right or not, they would take you to that place a day or an hour or whatever later. So you would have that connection because the context was very important. 
the context and the, and the personal connection was very important. People are, you know, I think people are a lot more psychic or whatever you want to call it with things that make that have personal relevance to them. Unfortunately, that means it's not really as, as reproducible as we want it to be because it becomes very subjective. So I think the subjective part of that, as you've been pointing out, is, is, is very important. It's just that the scientific repeatability part doesn't know what to do with the subjectivity. I agree. And scientific, scientific repeatability part will never know what to do with the subjectivity, and I wouldn't expect it to. And right, I don't exactly. Expect- I'm, not, I'm saying no stupid scientist. It's just yeah. like I don't think it's equipped for that part of it. Look, I, I, can, I joke about Lance. I consider Lance a friend. I don't expect Lance to believe me. I don't expect him to call me a liar because he should know me better that I, I wouldn't lie. Um, it's not how I roll. I have no – there's nothing for me to gain. And um, these are – it's something that I went years and years – I would never talk about stuff like this in public because I, the laughter curtain. But I do now. So at the very least, I would expect Lance to say, look, something happened to you. It's probably explainable through coincidence and psychology or whatever. But, you know, I believe right. you genuinely think you had an experience. Fine. I don't expect anyone to believe me. I don't expect anyone to think that I, I met you know, a ghost or whatever. I, I don't care. I've moved into your camp. I don't care. What I care about is – I know I had an experience. It mattered and made um, some sort of difference to me. It made me, as I like to say in my book, think. You know, don't believe, don't disbelieve, think. And yeah. the idea is, I my whole idea about this paranormal as an art thing is, if it is interacting with us in the form of you know art and performance or whatever, any artist will tell you the fundamental thing. I think any good artist will tell you the fundamental thing that trying to achieve in people is to elicit an emotional response and to get them to think. You know, to just imagine. And in my case, a lot of this has, over the last few years, been you know about thinking and imagining about our interconnectivity, what Walter would call communism. But um, you know that idea that at some level we're all interconnected, and um, that's the new age, Paul, that you wouldn't have known ten or fifteen years ago. But uh, yeah, that's something that's going to be an ongoing theme. I think you know if I drop dead today or if I live another fifty years, that's you know going to be one of those five big themes that I think about for the rest of my life. Are yeah. we all interconnected in some way? And then does that – do these things manifest if you open yourself to them to remind you of it or to let you know that we're interconnected? I think synchronicity does that for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, even this thing with Holly, this reminder of the ghost cases thing and our, and our connection, our, our deep personal bond, um, you know, I think it was designed – I think it might have been designed to remind me of that. And it was partly because it was in my mind and something realized that. And it's almost like, ding, he's ready. This this is his moment to be reminded of that, and here's how we're going to do it. And it right. beats having, it, or, it beats you, or you sent that problem. out and it got reflected back somehow. Yeah, so, you know, it's like it's like there's SETI. so many models. It's like SETI, but with paranormal stuff. So you send a signal out, and the signal comes back from whatever's out there. Yeah, and yeah. So I, I'm the SETI of ghost investigators. <laughs> there you go. That's silly effort to investigate or yes. whatever. I, w- I will tell you something strange that happened while you were telling your story. Ooh. And I don't know if this came out on the recording because I can't listen to it because I'm recording. When you described the – and I, I want to see if any listeners go, oh, yeah, and message me on Facebook. But when you described it, got to the part where the, with the coldness around your neck, there was an audible laugh coming from somewhere. Hmm. I heard this. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, two sirens. You're now ahead. Yes. But oh. well, we'll let it go by. But no, it's still coming. 
I can talk over it. The because um, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I heard I heard some noises, and I don't know if they're bleed through or what. But right when you described the the, the most significant part, there was an audible cut in of some laughter. Hmm. And I hope it made it onto the recording because I heard it. So was it? It wasn't some guy on the street or something. No, it came out of the speakers. Oh, like it was coming from your end. Oh well, th- nothing. I didn't hear anything. There's, I there's heard it, here, uh, so. and maybe it's just maybe I'm the only one that it, that ever heard it, or I made a mistake, or but I really want to listen to the recording now. No, oh. well, another yeah, huh? So do I now yeah. because you know maybe that's. I will Maybe listen to it, and I will message you uh, tonight if I can hear it in there. I wrote down the time, actually. I wrote it down on a note just to make sure I'd know where it was. The other weird thing is uh, while you were sending out these things about um, on Facebook about uh, the Jackson 5 and the Beatles, and then you said moonwalk because, uh, you know, and you thought he was, she was talking about Michael Jackson's moonwalk. She was talking about the actual moonwalk. Somebody else on Facebook, for some reason, sent me a clip of Bob Fosse from the Little Prince film from I don't know when it was, but before the, the Thriller album or before Michael Jackson did his famous dance moves, doing basically the same dance moves that Michael Jackson, Jackson did, including the moonwalk. <laughs> so that just came up on my Facebook feed today, just for no reason at all, from somebody I don't, I hardly know. I think. What, what would Walter say? The vector of circumstance and the I don't know what his phrase is. You could listen to the. I love. I, I just can't remember the exact words, but you know, the vector of circumstance in the corner of of synchronicity or something. He has this phrase that he uses to describe it. Uh, and, yeah, well, uh, I've entered your synchronicity field. Ooh. I actually think there is a synchronicity field. I think that when one person, it can it can spread. Yeah, like you can catch all. it. Like like a lot of things, um, uh, even uh, something as basic as a UFO, you know, sighting. Something happens to somebody, and there are, and you know this, there are many many cases where sh- weird shit starts happening to them, mm-hmm. and it's like they catch something like a virus. Um, and this happens in ghost hunting too, I believe, and and uh, paranormal research. Not all the time, but often enough that it's actually recognized as a as a phenomenon. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, to me, it's almost like I could go to see the movie myself, but maybe I've invited a few friends. So maybe you and Banal and whoever else has been sucked into my synchronicity vortex, or maybe I was sucked into Tim's. I don't know. Although I think in this case, not to be selfish or um, you know, it's all me, me, me. But I think because of the sort of ghosty thing and everything, I think my mind was on it a lot more than Tim's. So I think maybe he got sucked into mine a little bit. Um, hey, guess what, Paul? Go rightly just uh, messaged me and said, I heard that laugh. It was a high-pitched laugh, like a male, a male voice, as I recall. That's oh. exactly what I heard. So he heard it. So it went out on the air. All right. Now, you know, I like. So, so what would that be? As I'm telling the story, maybe... Maybe somebody's getting a kick out of it, or maybe it's just some signal bleeding into your radio station signal. I mean, yeah, but the, it, it, the the point is that there's a mundane explanation for it, but not ex- the mundane explanation as to why it came in at that point because I didn't do it. It's location, <laughs> location, location, <laughs> exactly. yeah. time, time, time. See what's become of me, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I. It's so much fun once you lose the fear of two things: the fear that whatever might be out there is going to harm you but also the fear that if you talk about it, people are going to laugh at you. I don't care about the latter, and I don't believe the former is true. 
that, that, that it's not harmful. So at that point, you've, you've removed fear, and then you can open yourself up and you can go, all right, let's see where the ride takes me. You know? Right, right. Um, and like Ardell might say, let's see where the ride takes me kind of thing. And I, you know, I think that I've been on this ride, I think it was Ghost Cases, um, not my UFO films or anything. Maybe that had uh, certainly opened my mind a bit, but it was getting out there, doing it myself with another person, too. I think doing it with another person is, um, I mean, it's kind of like sex. Yeah, you can do it alone, but it's not nearly <laughs> as much fun or meaningful. And frankly, you know, it's not really sex, but it's doing it with another person or three or four or five. Um, right. Wait, hold on. So, you know, I think if you can <laughs> I said share write very ex- quickly, I huh? I said write very quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, kind of, kind of, kind of scared. I said that. Go ahead. Oh, perhaps a don't, new side of Greg don't. I didn't know, but I'm intrigued by. So, <laughs> but you know, it's like that thing that it, I tell you that show you and Walter and I did. So I'm in the midst of my little synchronicity world, and I go to your radio station, and the three of us, all good friends. You know, have it happen to us on air in real time as it's happening. And I, I just – to me, that's one of the funnest things I've ever had happen. That two hours I spent with you guys and then we went to the House of Pies um, or House of Pie. I think and I – oh, wow. That's a lot. I think I still have that uh, posted on the on the timeline. If I can – do you remember the date? Yeah, it was about June – 11th 2011 yeah you do still have it posted because i downloaded it and then i took a six minute clip and uh and edited it and stuck it up on soundcloud so i could use it uh, for my presentation so people could literally instead of me describing it they could actually hear us doing it and it wouldn't work so i couldn't i had to describe it anyway but yeah the episode's still there i think it's i think it's the best episode i've ever done along with the mac tony's episode because okay well i'll link i'll link them both on the uh, post yeah, because it's just people can listen to it and they can see like it just starts and it's not like you're frightened or whatever. It's there's three guys having fun, but also you were playing the devil's advocate. Walter was really into the synchronicity, like, and I was start I was agreeing with Walter, which is a frightening. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the devil's advocate, and I went. You you said something. Well, no, some, I think it could be the uh, you know maybe it's just this or whatever sort of, and you were just doing because somebody has to do it. And yes, went, no, and Walter, if you were saying Walter's that was total right. BS, I would have been playing the other side of it because you know me. Exactly, and you actually said that. You said, look, Paul, if you were on the total BS side, I'd be agreeing with Walter. It's just my job to you know, give all sides. But I was going, no, Walter's right. And, <laughs> and, and I, I remember being in the studio thinking, oh, my God, what did I just say? I, I just agreed with Walter. <laughs> um, I've entered the mad zone. But – yeah, that was just – it's mind-blowing. It's fun. It gets you thinking and that leads me back to the sort of theory in my book and I'm not doing this to promote my book because as I told you earlier, I went to a conference where I could have sell, sold 30 of them and I only sold three by accident because I happened to be sitting next to Stan as three ladies came up and wanted to buy my book. So I'm not interested. If you want to buy my book, go for it um, and if not, that's fine. Um, I would I should have given them away but uh, I, I'm just interested in talking about this stuff with smart people who have similar kinds of experiences. And in your case, you know, good friends who've had the same experiences with me at the exact same freaking time. And Walter was involved in that synchronicity run um, as well. Him and Christina Kafari and I sitting in the farmer's market. And we, I had an incident of synchronicity uh, with those two people. And Nick was involved, even though he wasn't there because I was thinking about reading final events. And there was, so all of my friends, even if they weren't there were kind of, and Veronica and Ben Stevens showing up. And, you know, Ben is Holly's brother. Right. And he shows up and he's 
involved in the penultimate incident of that synchronicity run where I was walking by uh, up La Brea with him to get to Hollywood Boulevard, which I've never done before, stopped in front of the Henson Studios, which I didn't know were there. And I do the Kermit, there's Kermit the Frog, his statue, and I'm famous for doing Kermit the Frog. And I look down and there's the name Veronica etched in the sidewalk at my feet on the um, stone that I'm standing on. And she is the one person uh, who has always is, you know, my favorite, uh, my biggest fan when it comes to Kermit the Frog impressions. And she's like, whoa, what are the freaking, and even Ben kind of went, yeah, that's, that's weird. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's like all of that stuff. It's just so much fun. I I see. And it was great. You know, the paranormal, the ghost investigation we did last night, everybody was so into it. You know, they were having fun. And, um, and that's the kind of thing that you like to see. And the problem, I guess, with the UFO guys is sometimes they just seem so deadly serious. And I think the ghost people that I've run across, they seem a little more joyful a little more, you know, um, interested in, in having a really cool experience as opposed yes. to proving the cosmic, not to make fun of Stan. I'll, I'll make fun of Steve Bassett, proving that it's not about lights in the sky. It's about lies on the ground, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have any time for that kind of stuff. I have a lot of time for people that are out there and they want to share an experience. Yeah. Right. So it's, uh, we're all humans, and we got to make a human connection, and I think that's where a lot of this paranormal quote-unquote stuff comes from, as we've been talking about, and I'm glad you've explicated that a little bit more. Um, it is a little after 10. It's uh, what, 2 in the morning for you? <laughs> Sorry, I dozed off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm running on fumes. Normally, I'd keep talking until five. I am too. You know, Paul, I've not slept too much in the last couple of days, and I, I have no idea why. Well, I sort of have an idea because I keep getting up early for uh, other things that I'm doing, and I just automatically get up early, even though I go to sleep at you know one, two, three in the morning. So I'm I'm fuming now too. So uh, uh, oh well, probably a good time to wrap it up because yeah. I need to turn my fan back on before I, I yes. expire. Yeah, Heat turn that stuff. fan. I'm surprised you stayed awake with the fan off. Well, you know, I'm a I'm a trooper. I'm a, I'm a as Tim Benal would say, I'm a trooper. Trooper. I have, uh, I what have Tim Benal stories, but I won't tell them because he asked me not to. So. Okay, well, I'll ask him myself. I was afraid yeah. that Benal would say, "Well, why didn't you let me uh, come on the show?" It's like, well, Paul asked, and I don't know if it's possible for him to be. Well, he's probably around a phone somewhere. Yeah, probably, but he's he's probably pretty tired too. Yeah, because uh, he was actually he stayed out even later than I did. And uh, when we went out drinking one night, he drank more than I did. I'm not saying he was like drunk or anything, but you know, he kind of he he he's younger than I am, and he went a little further than I did. He partied I harder, he's, which is yeah. He's he's probably a little tired too. So, um, yeah, you know, it was great fun. I'm actually kind of thinking maybe uh, maybe I should come out to L.A. in the fall sometime. I think you should. Uh, uh, Ken Thomas is coming out here in the fall too. So. Uh, oh, well, I don't. I don't know if I want to be there at the same time as Ken. We don't always get along all that well. But, yeah, I think you'd get along, but the thing is, I don't think we have enough room in our house for more, more oh, than yeah. Uh, no. Well, I was I was thinking I could pop by and visit you for a couple of days or something, but then I might take a slightly longer trip up the Pacific Coast Highway. You should I, do that. If I'm yeah. not working at that point, still, I I may go with you. Come with. That would yeah. be awesome. So, um, so yeah, uh, hopefully I'll try and come out this fall because I might actually have enough money to be able to come out this fall. That, that would be great. Um, what song do you want to hear? Can I request two? One's very short. Yes, you can request two. Yay. Well, you won't mind the short one. 
I, I would like to hear because I think some of this is all located in our mind, that it's our mind interacting with the paranormal. I'd like to hear the Beatles. Which song do you think I'd like to hear? There's a place. Yes, of course. And then for my uh, friends Kelly and Linda at the East Coast Paraconference, uh, which I recommend. Hopefully they have another one next year, which they're planning. Everyone who can go should go. They're great people. They run a really good show. Um, Calling All Occupants by the Langley School Choir. Oh, well, of course I have both of those. I know you do. I want to play the uh, weird take four of uh, of uh, There's a Place. I, I really like that version. In fact, I think I probably know it better than the regular, where they do a couple of false starts and all that. Yes, I know the version. I quite like it, too, so that works for me. I'm just going to stay on the air and listen and potentially sing along. Okay, okay. here's uh, here's There's a Place for you. Thanks, Thanks Paul. There it is. Here we go. <laughs> I, I'd even forgotten that uh, I'd even forgotten that line. I think of you. So there's a Holly Stevens reference. Yeah. I, I requested this song without remembering that that's the key line. I think of you and the things you do. Oh, as Walter Bosley would say, nine, nine. Come on. Get the high note. I can't. Uh, no sad tomorrow. I can do a Tom Jones version. I can sort of get it. Yeah. Okay, I'll just embarrass myself if I keep singing. Okay, okay, Paul, uh, what version of Calling Occupants? Carpenters, Klaatu, or Langley School's Music Project? Oh, the Langley School's Music Project. It's oh, like, yeah, of course. It's, it's awesome. Um, so uh, if, I was, if I was still at college radio, I said go. This one's going out to uh, Kelly and Linda at the East Coast Paraconference. This is the Langley School's Orchestra with their version of the Carpenters' classic hit, Calling All Occupants. Messages through the vast unknown. Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think. Oh, yeah, this gets very loud very quickly. Upon the recitation, we're about to
geez, this is like five and a half minutes long. <laughs> I'm going to play the whole thing. Excellent. Oh, man, we lost half our listeners. They must hate this song. Well, they don't know what they're talking about then. This is an awesome song. It is. This is my favorite version, too. Yeah, no, it's great. They should cover this. I can't. I still. It's one of those things where you kind of. It's jaw dropping. Actually, it's weird because Linda Rayfus, who's one of the two organizers I mentioned for the uh, para conference, just commented on uh, Facebook. We love the song. Don't let him stop. So, <laughs> continue playing. Oh, okay. It's still going. It's soft. Yeah. With your mind, you have abilities to form, to transmit thought energy far beyond the norm. You close your eyes and concentrate together. Well, there you go, Paul. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Whoa, that and, was loud. <laughs> sorry, still here. You know, as we were listening to that, I was thinking, uh, if, would you let me request one more song? Sure. I was actually going to play Good Vibrations by the uh, Langley Schools Music Project, but I'll wait. I'll, I'll let that wait till after your uh, second uh, request here. I was just thinking, as Stan and I reconnected, and as he was my slide monkey, and as we shared a moment of moonwalk madness in the synchronicity vortex... The Melatones, Flying Saucers. Oh, okay. I haven't played that in a while. 
I, it right came, uh, funny, strangely enough, it came up on my uh, shuffle a couple days ago, and I hadn't heard it in a long time. A little flying saucer gospel music for the flying saucer physicist. This one, I think, works. Oh, well, after you, uh, after it is um, actually turned up. All right, Flying Saucers by the Mellotones, one of my first favorite uh, Flying Saucer songs. Me too. Thank you very much, old friend, and thank you for letting me ramble on tonight about my crazy stories. I'm going to uh, hang up now and listen to Good Vibrations on the Kill Radio feed. So, All right. I All will right. talk to you later today. Okay. Talk to you later. Good night, Greg. Good Thanks. night.